0: To this draft ass Eve ass edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here. We are here. We are one singular day from the 2022 NFL Draft. Give yourself a massive round of applause. Give yourself a huge round of applause. Man, this is a one of the most exciting times of the year. I would argue, now I know this is probably different for everybody because I know everybody out there, not everybody out there I should say, is as obsessed with the NFL Draft, as I am and a lot of other people are, but I like this day more than Christmas Eve. The day before the draft is such an exciting time because everything that was speculated, everything that was told to you, everything that was lied about gets figured out once and for all, for the whole world to see, for millions upon millions upon millions of people, one of the most watched uh, television events in the United States. It is the NFL... For all its faults, the NFL has got a fair few faults in itself. The NFL has mastered the art of the NFL draft. Like, the NFL draft last year. Like, if I just search uh, NFL draft viewership ratings from last year, 6.1 million viewers, TV and digital. the mo- The third most watched draft ever. 6.1 million is not even the highest. 2020 had 8.3 million viewers. That is a lot of people watching college kids that are somewhere between the ages. Well, I guess this year we're going to have a few older people and the occasional, you know, Brandon Whedons and Chris Winkies of the world that are almost 30 years old and have full-fledged families at this point in time. Most of them are between the ages of 20 and 23. Most of the time. We got a few 24-year-olds this year due to the COVID year. People came back to college like. Weird! It is really weird how this will all work out because if you look back to the 2018 NFL draft class and Sam Darnold, when Sam Darnold got drafted, he was 20 years old. Jermaine Edmonds, who's a starting middle linebacker for the Buffalo Bills, was 19 when he got drafted. He turned 20 a few days after the draft. Like, this draft, like, Kenny Pickett is a year and a day younger Then Sam Darnold. And Sam Darnold's been in the league for four years, going on number five. That's crazy, isn't it? Maybe it's not that crazy and I'm just like super, like, oh my God, all these guys are super old now. It just gives me another year of not feeling as insecure about my age and what I've done so far in my life because they're all my age. They're not younger than me yet. I remember the 2016 NBA draft was the first time I sat down and was like, wow, I'm older than everybody here. Or no, it was the 2017 NBA draft. 2017, the Markel Fultz-Lonzo Ball draft. Whatever year that was. Yeah, 2017. This is when I sat down and was like, oh my God, we are older. We are very old. Like Markel Fultz is 23 right now. Lonzo Ball is a few weeks older than me. (laughs) I am older than Jason Tatum, De'Aaron Fox, older than him, Josh Jackson, okay, I'm younger than him, but no, no Josh Jackson don't really matter in this situation, let's look at some other of the cool players, Donovan Mitchell, okay, I'm younger than him, I'm younger than him, so it's at least somewhat positive, but the, the top players is the first draft that I was older than people, I'd never been older than people I was watching get drafted, It really puts your life in how big of a massive failure you are when you look that and go, wow, they are my age. I know exactly who they are. They have no idea and probably don't even care who I am or even if I exist. I am just another talking head, I guess you could say. Now, I try not to say anything too harsh about these people because I don't want things to come back and bite me in the ass. Because you know we brought up the 2018 NFL Draft a little bit ago, and right now sitting here for me, I'm sitting here on April 26th. This is the four year anniversary of the 2018 NFL Draft. The NFL Draft in 2018 took place. Of course, if you if you have any listening skills or can you you can figure out things or comprehension skills or whatever, the NFL Draft in 2018 took place April 26th, 2018. Four years ago, isn't that exact? Isn't that crazy? And the thing that I will always remember about this draft, this draft will go down in the history books as one of the most enjoyable drafts of all time for different reasons, of course. I mean, it it was littered with speculation, littered with it. The Browns, until a few hours before the draft, no one knew who the Cleveland Browns were going to draft at quarterback. People assumed it was going to be Sam Darnold. Some people thought Josh Allen. But most people, if not all people out there, said Sam Darnold is the number one guy in the draft. Sam Darnold's the youngest. Sam Darnold's going to build you. He's going to build for the future. And I'm not going to sit here and say Baker Mayfield is the greatest quarterback of all time. But I can sit here and say that he is better right now than Sam Darnold is. Not saying that's a a very difficult task at this point in time. As the Panthers are talking about drafting a quarterback and even trading for Baker Mayfield to replace (laughs) Sam Darnold this upcoming season. And on Baker Mayfield, I talked to my dad about this the other day. A little side note. I just think this would be really funny. So you know how Baker Mayfield's incredibly you know, pissed off? And probably rightly so. But it's a business. It's the business. The NFL's a business. I understand that he's probably mad because they told, oh, they told me that they're going to build with me. I'm the future. And then a few weeks later, they decide, oh, we're going to trade for Deshaun Watson. And then they go, oh, wait, okay, we're out of the Deshaun Watson race. And then Baker's like, well, I want out. And the Browns are like, ah, no, nah, you're staying here. And then a few days later, Deshaun Watson ends up becoming Cleveland Brown. And Baker's, you know, as most people would be, though he understands, whom he understands is a business, but every single person out there that was in that situation, regardless if you understand, oh, it's the business side of things, you're going to feel a little bit hard done by, by that. You're not going to feel great about yourself. You're not going to feel great about the, the organization that drafted you first overall. But they have no affiliation with Baker right now. The head coach and GM, the two most important people in deciding who your quarterback is, were gone after his rookie year. So, (laughs) they were... Or uh, John Dorsey, I guess, was gone a year after that, or halfway through the next year. They have no affiliations with him. So, Baker's pissed. He's not going to show up to voluntary workouts. But wouldn't that be hilarious if Baker just showed up to practice and made things as awkward as possible? Like, would he... Would the coaches give him any reps... What would the, the feeling around practice be if Baker Mayfield just showed up to practice and was like, you know what? We're going to do this. I'm going to make this extremely awkward for Deshaun, and there's no disputing who's the better quarterback here. I think everybody out there, regardless of Deshaun Watson played last year or not, knows Deshaun Watson's the better of the two quarterbacks. It takes a good set of eyes. You don't even really need eyes to know that Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. Off the field? Different story, but we're not going to talk about the the off-the-field stuff. We're going to talk about on-the-field. And on-the-field, Baker should have made this as uncomfortable and as awkward as possible. I would have been all for it. And knowing what I know about Baker Mayfield, I am actually surprised that he did not go this route. But, man, that would have been hilarious. So the Browns took Baker Mayfield first overall to mixed results. You know, he had some success his rookie year, came second in rookie of the year, voting behind Saquon Barkley. And then, you know, did not play great his second year. Then his third year came, played a lot better, played a lot better. And then last year, battled some injuries, probably shouldn't have, probably should have just sat out with a lot of the other Browns players. I commend Baker for his toughness, but man, you are not good enough to play hurt. Like Brett Favre, that dude was one is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He can play hurt and still be a very good quarterback. Baker Mayfield went from an average quarterback to a below average quarterback playing hurt. The Browns did not gain anything by Baker staying on the field, and some people could even make the argument that they were worse off with Baker as the quarterback last season. Again, I commend him for playing through injuries, but were the Browns really better with Baker Mayfield, injured Baker Mayfield, or would they have been better off with Case Keenum? I don't really think there's a difference at that point. So in that case, you're kind of hurting the team in that regard. Like, I, I have really no real issues with Baker Mayfield apart from Browns fans massively overrating him. Because remember, we've talked about this a few times on the show. When Deshaun Watson first requested a trade last year, and people were talking about, oh, what team's going to get him. And Browns fans piped up on Twitter, said, like, I would trade Baker Mayfield for no other quarterback in the NFL. The only quarterback I would trade Baker Mayfield for is maybe, keyword maybe, Patrick Mahomes. And we love to romanticize sports, you know, like, oh, Baker led the Browns to the playoffs the first time they've been to the playoffs forever, first playoff win against the heated division rival in the Steelers, killed them. But I think most people out there, apartment Browns fans, understand that Baker was more of a passenger than the captain of the ship, more of a passenger. Like, Miles Garrett is the captain of the Cleveland Browns, was back then, still is now. Double-digit sack season every single year of his career, apart from his rookie year. He even had double-digit sacks when he hit Mason Rudolph on the head with the helmet. And he missed, like, six games. He still managed to get double-digit sacks. And then got nominated for Walter Payton Man of the Year the next year. Like, how did, how is that possible? But yeah, Miles Garrett, Nick Chubb, the offensive line, those are the captains of the Browns' ship, not Baker. He's the figurehead. It's kind of like the Queen. Queen doesn't really do a whole lot now. But uh, you look at her and go, oh, wow, that's, the, that's what we think of when we think of England. But, um, yeah, she doesn't really do a whole lot. <laughs> that's kind of what Baker Mayfield was. Like, I think Baker if the Browns could take this draft over, I would assume if they knew it was going to happen in the future and the quarterbacks were going to develop the way they had, regardless of the position they were drafted in, they would go and take Josh Allen. Like, it's not even really close they would take Josh Allen. Well, no, it's, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. I don't want to sound disrespectful to Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is, of course, the second ever unanimous MVP in NFL history, behind next to Tom Brady. Two have ever been named unanimous MVP, and he's one of them. So I don't want to sound disrespectful to Lamar Jackson. But I think the Browns, if they could go back in time, would take Josh Allen. And if you're looking at the top 10 in the draft, and where you saw four quarterbacks go in the top 10, the the other being Josh Rosen, the only quarterbacks that would get selected in the top 10 if we did this over again would be Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. I don't know if Baker Mayfield would get selected in the top 10 if we did this draft over again, because this draft has a lot of good players even outside of the quarterback position. Like Saquon, Denzel Ward, Bradley Chubb, Quentin Nelson... Minka Fitzpatrick, Vita Vea, Derwin James, Jair Alexander, Frank Ragnow, Nick Chubb, Darius Leonard, Cortland Sutton, Brian O'Neill, one of the better right tackles in the NFL, Fred Warner, Orlando Brown, Mark Andrews. There's a lot of very good players. Wyatt Teller was a fifth-round draft pick. One of the best guards in the NFL now. Hate that the Bills traded him for pretty much next to nothing. And the weakest part of their team is, ironically, the guard position. It's like the Cubs when you look back and watch the the DJ LeMayhew-Ian Stewart trade when DJ LeMayhew was only a prospect and Ian Stewart was supposed to be a Chris Bryant before Chris Bryant became a thing. It's, no, it, it's, it's kind of odd how throughout most of the time DJ LeMayhew has been one of the best players in baseball, one of the Cubs' weakest positions has been second base. It's been a rotation of a lot of people. I know Javier Baez played there for a little bit, but he's not a second baseman. I know he played second base for the Mets last year, but that was just so he could get out or so he had a trade partner and could play with a friend. But Javi was never re-signing with the Mets. He was His ego will not let him play second base for, a full, for however long, lock him down to a long-term contract. That will not happen. And I love Javier Baez. He's my favorite player of all time. So I don't want to say anything too bad about Javier Baez, but what I know about Baez, he will not t- his eagle will not let him play second base for the rest of his career. Then we don't need to talk about Aston Russell. Then we had Darwin. Well, Darwin Barney was before. That great defender, couldn't hit. But great defender, Gold Glover. I have assigned a ba- Darwin Barney baseball in my room. Love Darwin Barney. But the, pl- the biggest problem position that was a rotation factor for the Cubs was second base. And DJ LeMahieu. One of the best contact hitters in all of baseball. Just happens to play second base. Lit it up with the Rockies. Did really well for the Yankees the past couple years. Not really amazing right now, but still productive. I don't even remember where we were going with that. <laughs> I don't even remember what the whole point behind bringing up the Cubs was. What was the what was the goal there? Where did we start with that? <laughs> Why did I... What did... Hmm. Oh, the Bills trading Wyatt Teller to the Browns because now their biggest problem area is the guard spot. Now we hope the Bills, you know, fix that with Roger Saffold. Brought in, brought Ryan Bates back, even though it looked like he was going to the Bears, and brought in David Questenberry, Got brought in the Titans two starting guards. So that's something. That's a really good piece of business for the Buffalo Bills. Qu- Questenberry probably won't start. I would assume it's going to be Bates to start off the season for the Buffalo Bills, at least start off the season. I don't know if he'll stick for that, stay with that position for the rest of the time. Maybe he'll get benched. Maybe he'll get hurt. Who the hell really knows? I, I can't predict the future. I'm sorry. As much as I like to make it seem like I converted to the future, I can't. I cannot. And with the 2018 draft, a lot of people try to predict the future. And some people are still stuck on the past and can't accept what's happened in the future. There were a lot of people, a lot of people. I, there, not a lot still hold this. There are some. There are some. But Josh Allen can't play. Josh Allen stinks. Josh Allen's not accurate. Josh Allen's not this. Josh Allen's not that. Josh Allen is the best player. Ah, I shouldn't say that. Quentin Nelson's in there too. But he's one of the best players, the best quarterback in the 2018 draft class. And it took – I haven't even heard anything from Bomani Jones about Josh Allen recently, but Bomani Jones was the one that kept dying on that hill that Josh Allen can't play quarterback. And I remember the big discrepancy or the big issue people had with Buffalo It's because it's a smaller town, smaller city, whatever you want to call it. They had Tyrod Taylor there. They benched him for Nathan Peterman. They traded him and drafted this guy that they hoped could be something. So that instantly meant Buffalo's racist. So that was the narrative forever. Or at forever, the past three years, until Josh Allen got really, really good. And then that kind of died down. But you never heard that when Cleveland benched him for Baker after he got hurt. You never heard that when the Chargers punctured his lungs. You never heard that when the Texans benched him for Davis Mills after he got hurt. You never heard that when the Giants just signed him to be the backup to Daniel Jones. But Buffalo, that was the narrative. That's the, that was the narrative. People made it seem like Tyrod Taylor was the special quarterback. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying anything really bad about Tyrod. I love Tyrod. I have nothing but love for Tyrod Taylor. Nothing but love. Great guy. Great guy. But he's not a franchise quarterback. Why was he only a franchise quarterback in Buffalo? Why was he not a franchise quarterback in Cleveland or L.A. or Houston or New York or Baltimore? Why was he never a franchise? Why was he only a franchise quarterback in Buffalo? So why was it only a big deal when Buffalo benched him? But when all these other places benched him, it was nothing was really the matter. Nothing really counted there. Like when Tyrod Taylor got benched for the Bills, they were getting annihilated. And I know that the offense wasn't really they weren't responsible in stopping anybody. I understand that. But he also couldn't move anywhere. And then Nathan Peterman put forth one of the worst performances of all time, throwing five interceptions in the first half against the Chargers. And then that sparked a lot of things. But that was the only time I've ever heard anybody think Tyrod Taylor was a franchise guy, was when he was in Buffalo, when he was throwing 14 passing touchdowns. Like, he started off good in Buffalo, like, numbers-wise. But his numbers, touchdown-wise, started gradually decreasing. And then he was just, he's not going to get you anywhere. Tyrod Taylor will not lose you any games. I will, not, I will not sit here and say Tyra Taylor is the reason Bills were losing the games. They had a rookie head coach who was trying to make some changes, trying to spark something. Maybe a quarterback change would do that. Ben McAdoo benched Eli Manning when he was on the route to be the, the longest serving starting quarterback in a row, ever, in NFL history. And they benched for Geno Smith for one game and then brought him back into the lineup. I didn't see really that being a big issue, and that actually had a record. Eli Manning won two Super Bowls. (laughs) That that didn't get really brought up. Yeah, I've always said Tyrod Taylor is a a more mobile version of Alex Smith. Everybody loves Alex Smith. But no one said Alex Smith was a franchise quarterback. That's the only thing that I have a really issue with, and Alex Smith is better than Tyrod Taylor. Alex Smith had less of a reason to get a quarterback drafted than Tyrod Taylor did. Alex Smith had gotten a team to 13-3 and one year. The Chiefs traded up from 27-10 to 10 to draft Mahomes. No one said anything about Alex Smith and that he was treated unfairly. Everybody knew he was going to be gone the next year. I don't know. I, it's all narratives. It's all narratives. And people were set on those narratives about Josh Allen, about the Bills, about Tyrod for at least two years. At least two years. Like, Beaumont Jones was on Twitter all the time bashing Josh Allen. Like, now, if you bash Josh Allen, there's really no point in talking to you. Because you don't really know what you're talking about. Or if you're talking about it, you're just trying to start something. You're not really coming from anywhere with any sense. You're just saying things to hear yourself talk. And maybe you could say that about me since I host a podcast. Maybe I just like to hear myself talk, and maybe that's true. I actually don't. I hate listening to myself talk. That's why I never listen back to a show. (laughs) So I don't know. I remember what I talked about, I don't remember how it came out. (laughs) So I I don't like listening to myself. Yeah, Josh Allen is a top two quarterback in the NFL. Tyrod Taylor was never a top half quarterback in the NFL, let alone top two. So I think the Bills were justified. In making the decision to trade up from twelve to seven to draft Josh Allen, I think they're very more than justified in drafting him. And then they traded up again in the first round to select Tremaine Edmonds. And a lot of Bills fans have their have voiced their opinions about Tremaine Edmonds. I'm not sitting here and saying Tremaine Edmonds is anything spectacular. I would if I would go back, I would easily take Darius Leonard or Fred Warner before Tremaine Edmonds. I would say Roquan Smith, but he was drafted before him. Roquan Smith, or, um, Darius Leonard, and Fred Warner were drafted after him. I would definitely go back and do that again. But I have really nothing terrible to say about Tremaine Edmonds. He's a very athletic linebacker, very lengthy linebacker. Does good things, made a few Pro Bowls, still very, very young. So yeah, I think he's fine. I'm not going to bash Tremaine Edmonds at all. I don't want to bash Tremaine Edmonds. But a lot of Bills fans on Twitter do not like Tremaine Edmonds. Very, very, very much don't like Tremaine Edmonds. But this draft class is, again, a very polarizing one. And I I thought it would be fun since it's a year to the day, or four years to the day, of this draft class, I wanted to go through and do a tier list. I haven't done a tier list in a couple days. I think we did one on Friday. <laughs> Friday or, or Wednesday of last week. I don't remember. But it's the draft. And it's four years to my favorite draft of all time, the 2018 draft class. I mean, Josh Allen got drafted in that draft. So it's kind of hard for me not to say it's my favorite draft class of all time. And there's a tier list with 31 players on it. And I went through it. And the only player that's missing on here, the player that is missing, is Rashawn Evans from the Tennessee Titans. So I'm not really too fussed about that. He would have gone under—they <laughs> actually have names of this category—to underwhelming to not-so-good. I wouldn't put him in the trash category, but uh, I put him in the underwhelming to not-so-good categories. So here are the tiers for the players. we got future Hall of famer, super good, good, average, underwhelming, not-so-good, and trash. So, yeah very uh very harsh rating system we got going on here. So we'll start off with the number 1 overall pick, Baker Manfield. He's just average to good. Like there's nothing really special about Baker Manfield. I like Baker, but I wouldn't if I was if I would I trade Josh Allen for him. No, I would not. Next one on this list, we'll go to number 2 overall pick Saquon Barkley. It's kind of hard to put him anything other than good. I mean, when he's healthy, the dude's awesome. But he just can't stay healthy. He could be in the super good category. But he can't stay healthy. And the the Giants O-Line has done him absolutely no favors. They have one of the worst units, if not the, the worst unit in the entire league. But Saquon Barkley has to go in the good credit category. Number three, Sam Darnold. Um, not so good. <laughs> He's not been very good. People thought that, and I was included in this. I brought up Jim Plunkett. I didn't say he was going to become Jim Plunkett. But it was a similar situation where he got drafted by a pretty bad organization with a bad coaching system in place, and he was just set up to fail. And everybody thought that, hey, Sam Darnold gets new scenery. He's got a lot of weapons in Carolina, an offensive-minded coaching staff. This should all work out beautifully, and it uh, it did not. It did not. I, I think Sam is a really nice person. At least that's what it seems like. I never met him in person, but he seems like a very nice person. But, yeah, I'm going to stick him in not-so-good. You can make an argument for underwhelming, but it's it hasn't been really good. I mean, they're talking about drafting a quarterback to replace him or trading for Baker Mayfield, so it hasn't been very good. Number four overall, Denzel Ward, super good. Denzel Ward is now the highest-paid corner in the NFL. We brought that up last show. Give him another round of applause for that. Dude's awesome. Awesome. Lockdown corner. Not necessarily the biggest guy in the world, but absolutely a lockdown corner. Next one, Bradley Chubb. Similar thing to Saquon. Uh, when he's healthy, he's pretty good. He's pretty good when he's healthy. He just can't stay healthy, so we'll throw him in the good category. Quentin Nelson, uh, this dude's a future Hall of Famer. That dude's a future Hall of Famer. Quentin Nelson is one of is the only player since Barry Sanders to start off his career with three first-team all-pro selections. The only, Him and Barry, the only player since Barry Sanders. It's very rare when someone gets drafted and then, boom, instantly the best player at that position in the league. It's very rare that happens. I can't really think of another time it's been that instantaneous where it was, he's here, oh, he's really, really good. Like even Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning holds the record for most interceptions in a rookie season. Like Peyton Manning didn't start off the best player in his position. Deion Sanders, I guess you can make an argument for Deion Sanders with that position as well. Lawrence Taylor, he, I mean, that dude was baller from the very beginning. So maybe those guys are someone you can mention up there as well, but Quentin Nelson, future Hall of Famer. Josh Allen, you know what? I'm going to be biased. I don't care. Future Hall of Famer. (laughs) I mean, he holds almost – he's four years into his career, and he already holds most of the Bills' significant passing records apart from career passing yards and career passing touchdowns. I'm pretty sure he's third all-time in rushing touchdowns in the Bills organization. Now, I'm not sitting here and saying that's the barometer for him being a Hall of Famer because – the Bills uh, franchise throughout its history has not been great. There's the 90s, and then that was pretty much it. You had OJ Simpson, uh, DeLama Lure, 90s, drought, Josh Allen. Like, there's a big discrepancy between how good things have been in the Bills organization. But Josh Allen, I think in time, once his career said and done, I think he will be viewed – well, now, it's weird because they're actually the favorites to win the Super Bowl now. So if he gets to a Super Bowl, I think there's an argument. I know Jim Kelly went to four straight. No one else in NFL history has ever gone to four straight. I don't care they lost him. No one else has ever done that. But if Josh Allen gets to one, that conversation of if he's better than Jim Kelly, I think he's like he's got more athletic tools in his body than Jim Kelly had. <laughs> in an, like, he has more athletic gifts in his eyelash than Jim Kelly had in his entire body. Even Jim Kelly has said that. So, I think Josh Allen could be in that conversation for his future Hall of Famer. But Quentin Nelson, I think, has. Oh, uh, wait, my. Quentin Nelson. Uh, I, I might throw him down in super good because Quentin Nelson is a Hall of Famer already. Like, that dude's a baller. <laughs> uh, number eight, Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith's really good. Roquan Smith is a very underappreciated linebacker. We'll throw him in the good category. We'll throw him in good. Very consistent. Very, very consistent linebacker. Do I put him higher than Fred Warner and Darius Leonard? No. But. Still a very good linebacker. Still a very good linebacker. Next one, number nine overall pick. Who was the ninth overall pick? I'm trying to remember. I'm just looking at the tier list. I'm trying to go off memory here. Ninth, ninth overall pick. Wow. Oh, it was Mike McGlinchey. Mike McGlinchey. Uh, average. They're not really special about Mike McGlinchey. Right tackle. Nothing, spe- nothing really that special. Number 10, Josh Rosen, trash. I mean, there's not really a lot to say about that. He said there were nine mistakes taken ahead of me and proceeded to get traded a year after he got drafted. So it didn't really work out for Rosen. Rosen was not the chosen. Let's just put it like that. Number 11, Minkovitz-Patrick, super good. Minkovitz-Patrick transformed the Steelers' defense when he got traded to the Dol- from the Dolphins to the Steelers. Instantly made them one of the best units in the NFL, one of the best secondaries in the NFL, one of the best safeties in the NFL. That dude is super good. Vitavea. Another one, super good. Bucks defense. When he came back, they were dominant. One of the best interior linemen in the entire NFL. Absolute monster in the middle. Thirteen. I think it's Deron Payne, right? I'm trying to. Yeah, Deron Payne. Deron Payne has is a good football player. Deron Payne is a good football player. He is good. I'm not saying he's sitting in here and is anything, you know, special. Maybe I could put him down in the average category, but. Ah, no, I wouldn't put him up in that level. I'll put him down in average. He's not like Jonathan Allen, I'll put him in the average category. I like him, though. 14th overall pick. Who was next in the 14th overall pick? Marcus Davenport. Um... He didn't really do anything until this year. Do we put him in underwhelming? I mean, he got a second contract, so I mean, congratulations to him, but... He hasn't really... Like... He got one, uh, let's look at it. I don't know what his full stats His Wikipedia page is not really showing a whole lot here. So we're going to go up to his ESPN page. See if that gives us a, a bigger story on what he's done. So he got nine sacks this year. Got a second contract. Easily the most in his career. Uh, had a career high in tackles, career high in sacks. Only played 11 games. Hasn't been really healthy. I don't know. For trading up as far as they did, I don't really know if I can put him in average. I don't know. He's a hard one to read. He's a very hard one to read. Colton Miller. Colton Miller's good. Colton Miller is a very good tackle. I like Colton Miller. Plays for the Raiders. Solidified. He was started off as a right tackle, moved over to the left tackle. He's played really well. Not made a Pro Bowl yet, but he made the all, he made a All AFC team for PFA PFWA Football Pro Football Writers Association. He's a good tackle. He's a good tackle. He will go up in the good category. Next one, 16, Tremaine Edmonds, he'll go in the good category. He'll go in the good category. Again, Bills fans can bash him however many times they want. He's made two Pro Bowls, and he's still only 23 years old. He turns 24 in May. Like, this dude's still growing. Really extreme, extreme length at the linebacker position. The dude's good. The dude's good. I, no, I'll put him in average. He's not. A, I don't think he's as good as Roquan Smith. I don't know. He is good, though. He uh, well, that one's hard. Derwin James, when he's healthy, key word when he's healthy, he is the one of the best safeties in the NFL. But he can't stay healthy. But when he is on his game, he's super good. He made first team on Pros rookie year. Like this dude's, that dude's legit. Same with Jair Alexander, super good. Jair Jair Alexander is a freaking beast for being a little undersized, five foot ten, almost two hundred pounds. The dude's a beast. One of the best corners in the NFL. Didn't really play a lot last year, but was battling a lot of injuries. But elite corner, elite corner. Uh, Leighton Van Der Esch, average, maybe. Like, he made a Pro Bowl, so congratulations to him. But he's battled a lot of injuries since his really good sec- first year in the NFL. So yeah, I'll put him in average. I'll, I'll put him in average. He could be good, but he hasn't been anything that special since his rookie year. Uh, next one, Frank Ragnow will put him in good. Frank Ragnow was at one point the highest paid center in the NFL. Frank Ragnow is a very good center. I always tell people, the Lions have a good offensive line. I said that last year. Like, we were drafting people and people, players, people in my fantasy league, were talking about the Lions. Like, the one thing they don't need to worry about is their own line. Like, Frank Ragnow, they draft a Panay Sewell, and they have Taylor Decker. Like, that's a good offensive line. It's nothing to be sniffed at. It's For how bad and chaotic the Lions have seemingly been over the past few years, their old lines really good, or really good. It's good. It's a good O-line. Billy Price, um, yeah, he has not been really good. I don't know if I can put him in the Rosen category because he still you know, has started every once in a while recently, so I'll put him in the not-so-good category. He has not been very good. Isaiah Wynn, do we put him in the under... The under? Uh, he's nothing special. Like Isaiah Wynn is really nothing special. But he got a fifth-year option. We could put him up in average... I don't know. No, I don't know. We'll move around him around. DJ Moore, good. DJ Moore is a really good wide receiver. Number one receiver of the Carolina Panthers had a couple thousand yard season with the Panthers. Baller. He just needs a good quarterback. He just needs a good quarterback. He's had three straight 1000-yard seasons. The dude's baller. Hopefully, hopefully for him, he can get above the four touchdown threshold though. He's never had more than four touchdowns in the season. Past three seasons he had four touchdowns. <laughs> uh Hayden Hurst I don't know. I do I don't he hasn't really done anything in the league. We'll put him in underwhelming for being a first round draft pick, being on three teams so far in his career, and being outshone by a third round draft pick in Mark Andrews, which is no no laughing matter because Mark Andrews is very, very good. And is he's never had more than six hundred yards receiving last year at two hundred and twenty one yards. They drafted a tight end, the Falcons drafted a tight end with the fourth overall pick. I know he's a unicorn and everything, but Hayden Hurst former first round pick in his third year in the NFL. They're already drafting a tight end, and now he's on the Bengals. So I'm going to put him in the underwhelming category. Next one, Calvin Ridley, good. When he had Julio Jones, that dude's really good. (laughs) Then he realized, wow, this is pretty hard not playing with Julio Jones. Makes makes it a lot more difficult to get catches and get yards, but he's good. He's a good receiver. Now he's suspended, though, but he's a good receiver when he's playing. Rashad Penny, underwhelming. I mean, again, much like Hayden Hurst, the dude got shown – oh, wait, not Hayden. Yeah, Hayden Hurst. Much like Hayden Hurst, he got outshone by a guy who was drafted way later. Like, his his stats don't even pop up on Wikipedia. That's how little he's done. Now, he did have a pretty decent leader last year because Curse Carson was hurt most of the season. But, yeah, he was a shock to get drafted in the first round anyways. And even now, it's looked at as more of a, wow, he actually was drafted in the first round. They had a career year last year with 749 yards. He's never played more than 14 games this season. He's never played more than 10 post his rookie season. Like, his career year was last year and he had 749 yards. He's been underwhelming. He's been underwhelming. Terrell Edmonds, put him in the average category. Maybe put him in the... Uh, he's not done anything in the NFL. He's not. He hasn't done anything, but we'll keep... We might have to put him in the underwhelming category. Justin Reed was drafted that year. I think the Steelers would rather go back and draft Justin Reed if they could do things over again. Taven Bryan, the next one, underwhelming. Taven Bryan hasn't done anything. These are some players again that just haven't done anything. Taven Bryan's on his second team. He signed with the Cleveland Browns this past off season, but he's not, he hasn't done anything. The Browns, the Jaguars, declined to accept his fifth year option. So yeah, he's just been underwhelming. Mike Hughes, uh, not so good. Mike Hughes is pretty bad. Mike Hughes got drafted by the Vikings from UCF and didn't do anything apart from get burn and return kicks that's all he did he's on his third team of his career already so yeah not so good sony michelle uh, underwhelming he started off good he had 900 something yards his first year in the nfl and then kind of teetered out after that had 800 something yards last year with the rams but i don't know if those numbers will stay the same since cam Akers is coming back cam Akers is going to be the main back there in la so we'll see how that all goes for Sony Michel, and he's not even on team right now, so I guess I shouldn't even say that. He's a free agent right now. So, yeah, in the Super Bowl he had two carries for two yards. I'll put him in the underwhelming category. And then Lamar Jackson, uh, super good, super good. Lamar Jackson is super good. I don't care what people have to say about Lamar Jackson, about him not being a consistent passer. They're, this dude can do things in the NFL that no one else can do. This dude is super good, super good. Second-ever unanimous MVP in NFL history. He's super good. I don't care if people say he's an inconsistent passer. I don't like people saying he's a wide receiver. Those were stupid things when they said those during the draft. Like, we had him going 17th overall to the Chargers. And it turns out, the Chargers were actually one of the teams that thought about moving him to wide receiver, which is why Anthony Lynn is no longer the head coach of the Chargers. and <laughs> not making decisions like that. I think the Chargers came up pretty fine, though, with Derwin James. And I think they... They're pretty cool with what they got in their quarterback situation right now. So I think they're fine. <laughs> but but Lamar Jackson, I love that dude. So here's the tier list again. Biased, of course, the first one. You know, Quentin Nelson and Josh Allen, future Hall of Famers. Just being biased there. Quentin Nelson, I think, right now. Quentin Nelson is a Hall of Famer. Quentin Nelson will be a Hall of Famer. The others are still up in the air, but I just want to put Josh Allen up there for fun. Super good. We got Denzel Ward, Minka Fitzpatrick, Vitavea, Derwin James, Jair Alexander, and Lamar Jackson. Good Saquon, Bradley Chubb, Roquan Smith, Colton Miller, Tremaine Edmonds, Frank Ragnow, DJ Cl- DJ Moore, and Calvin Ridley. Average Baker, Mike McGlinchey, Deron Payne, and Layton Esch. underwhelming, Marcus Davenport, Isaiah Wynn, Hayden Hurst, Rashad Penny, Terrell Edmonds, Taven Bryan, and Sony Michelle. Not so good, Sam Darnold, Billy Price, and Mike Hughes, and then trash, Josh Rosen. And Rashawn Evans, if he was in this, he'd go to the not so good to underwhelming categories. So that's just where everybody is. Hope you like the tier list. If not, I can only apologize. And before we move on to this current year's draft, talk about some things that we need to talk about before we get into all of those things. Talk about some things we need to talk about. Huh. That sounds weird even even from me. That sounds really weird. But, yeah. Make sure you're following Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and you're listening to it right now, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So make sure you subscribe to both and leave a rating on the five stars on both Pretty please. The Twitter account is Logan underscore Blackman. The Instagram account is Blackman Logan. Those are the personal accounts. The show's Instagram account is the Logan Blackman Show one. The Logan Blackman Show one. Facebook and YouTube to search Logan Blackman Show. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Like the Facebook page. Make sure you're following it. And on YouTube, make sure you watch a few videos. Give them a thumbs up. Can't dislike them. So suck that. And you're listening again, you're listening to it right now. Make sure you're following and/or subscribe to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts and leave a rating out of five stars on both of them. We are at 15 ratings out of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Somebody needs to break the threshold and get us over 15. If you have not rated The Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts, please do so. Please rate it more. We have 221 episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That is not all the episodes we have on every single platform. We have been doing this since 2016. I think I deserve more than 15 five-star ratings. Now, I guess I shouldn't threaten you like that. You can, you can rate the show however you want. If you don't like the show, that's fine. Rate it one star. That's really cool. Go ahead and do that. If you like it, please rate it a five stars. Don't feel like I'm threatening you to do anything you don't want to do. But you know what? I would greatly appreciate it if you did, in fact, do that. So without further ado, let's actually start talking about this year's draft. We went 40 minutes, or however long it's been, it feels like 40 minutes, talking about the 2018 NFL Draft. But I want to talk about the 2022 NFL Draft. And there's some big talking points in the 2022 NFL Draft. Like, which teams will need quarterbacks? We don't know where any of these quarterbacks are going to go. Like, the the closer we get to the draft, the more and more it seems there might only be one quarterback in the first round. I remember a few weeks ago we talked about there's more likely to be four in the first round than none. And now we're talking about possibly one of them. And it seems to be a toss-up between the one, between Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett, which is not really surprising, shouldn't be surprising to anybody. And then there's, like, all these different takes on all the other quarterbacks, namely Corral, Ritter, and Sam Howell. However the hell you want to rate them after that, go ahead. Those are the only five that will be talked about in the first two rounds. Pickett, Willis, Corral, Ritter, Howell. Those are the only five that we'll have to worry about in rounds two, one and two. Even round three. I like Carson Strong a lot. Carson Strong will be a day three draft pick. His lack of mobility and knee issues. Probably going to keep him in the day three. Bailey Zappi will be a day three pick. There's other quarterbacks that we'll get to in a little bit. But yeah, this draft, no one knows what's going to happen in this draft. No one knows what's going to happen in this draft. But I have an idea. At least I try to think I have an idea. Like The mock draft, I'm working on it like crazy. Because this is supposed to be, according to all the reports... The most unpredictable draft of all time. The most unpredictable from Daniel Jeremiah. Daniel Jeremiah, who is the GOAT of the game right now, has only released two mock drafts. Daniel Jeremiah is always the guy, and he does this every year, there's always one player that he rates super high at the start, everybody thinks is crazy, and then all of a sudden, wow, well, we come to the draft, oh, that player's up there. Travon Walker, Trayvon Walker, is that guy this year. In my draft 2.0, we had Trayvon Walker going fifth overall to the Giants and getting drafted before Kayvon Thibodeau. Now it seems crazier to think that Thibodeau would get drafted before Trayvon Walker. That would not even... That's crazy to think about if we're going back to the summer. Like, Trayvon Walker wasn't even in the conversation. If you are going at the end of the football season. People weren't really talking about Trayvon Walker like that. And then people started watching the film and going, Oh, wow, his lack of production is not because he stinks. Which stats can only tell you half a picture. We talked about that with accuracy in the quarterback position. Accuracy can tell you so much. Like, it's a good metric, but it's not going to tell you if the dude's actually accurate or not. That just tells you if the receiver caught it or not. It doesn't tell you where the ball was placed. Like, Keaton Slovis, is he accurate? I don't know. Because every single time he threw a pass to Drake London last year, Drake London had to make a circus catch, but he caught the ball, so Keaton Slovis' completion percentage went up. That doesn't mean Keenan Slovis is accurate. Sam Newton had a career career year completion percentage when Christian McCaffrey came to the NFL. That doesn't mean he's accurate because he checked down all the time. Completion percentage, yes, is a nice number. It does not necessarily tell the whole story if you're accurate. Production from the edge rusher position or a defensive line position is not always indicative to how much they how much pressure they added to the defense. Trayvon Walker went from a tier interior D lineman to an edge rusher and wasn't asked to go after the quarterback like that. But you can see plays that Trayvon Walker gets after it. If he was a wide receiver, just for a perspective, he would be one of the top-testing wide receivers. This dude's 6'5", 275 pounds. Was at 1.290 pounds. Like, if we're talking about freak athletes, the freakest of the freak athletes are in the NFL. The freakiest of the freakish freaks is Trayvon Walker. Like it's ridiculous to think about that. But his production or seemingly lack thereof is not indicative to the player that he is. You see it on film, how much disruption he causes. Like Jordan Davis, similar thing. Jordan Davis is an absolute unit in the run game and does make his presence known in the pass game. For how well he moves at six foot six, three hundred and forty pounds, or however big he is. That dude causes mayhem. That dude is a game record. And he's not going to sit there and get double-digit sacks every single year. Trayvon Walker, I think, could definitely develop into that. And one of the other arguments that I hate, and we're getting into the prospect rankings here in a little bit, but one other thing I really, 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 really don't like is people saying, you expect him to get better in the NFL than he was in college? Yeah. Two great examples of that are Josh Allen and George Kittle. It happens. It's not something that... Once you get to the NFL, that's all you are. People get worse in the NFL. Yeah, you're playing against bigger, stronger, faster, older athletes. So you're going to, more often than not, you're going to get worse. Like Tim Tebow was not the same Tim Tebow in the NFL as he was in Florida. Josh Rosen sure as hell wasn't the same Josh Rosen we saw at UCLA. than he was in Arizona, Tampa, Atlanta, Miami, San Francisco, and wherever the hell he is now. I don't know where he's at. And that's not in the order of teams he's on. I don't know what team he's on now. Right, he was last on Atlanta. But that happens, yeah. But depending on your work ethic and the situation you're surrounded in, that can lead to a lot of success where you might have not had that. George Kittle, when you watched him at Iowa, did you ever think he would break records for receiving yards for a tight end? No. Dude never had over 400 yards receiving in Iowa. He might have had over 400. I guess. I'm i not looking at the numbers right now. He could have had over 400. If he did, it wasn't much over that. But utilization matters. Damian Pierce from Florida is a prime example of that. Devontae Price at Florida, Atlanta, Florida International is another example of that. These guys didn't put up great numbers in college. But they weren't used in the great ways. And Damian, De, Devontae Price from Florida International played on a trash team. Terrible team. He's not a great pass catcher out of the backfield, but they didn't really utilize him that like that because they were so bad. I think De, Devontae Price could develop into something nicely at the next level and Damian Pierce is supposed to be or is ranked very highly by a lot of people out there and he never had more than 600 yards rushing in a season whereas someone like Isaiah Spiller had three or two he had almost 3,000 yard rushing season at Texas A&M 900 something his first year and then a thousand thousand and we're talking about Damian Pry- Pierce being better than Isaiah Spiller like, Clyro Zolaire did not have the same numbers as Jonathan Taylor at college, but J- Clyro Zolaire got drafted before him. Now, that was a little bit of a confusing thing, because I don't think a lot of people had Clyro Zolaire above Jonathan Taylor, or even John Dre Swift, for that matter. So that was a very confusing outcome in that, in that draft. And you know what I talked about with players not being able to, or people saying you can't get better in the NFL... The NFL is way harder. And it is. It is. It is way harder. But you can get better because a lot of it comes down to the situation. Like, that's why I hate the term can't miss prospect. Can't miss or zero bust potential? That is a stupid, stupid, stupid saying. Like, I hated that last year. Trevor Lawrence is a can't miss prospect. Trevor Lawrence led the league in interceptions last year. I don't think anybody was really expecting that. I saw some crazy-ass people think the the Jaguars are going to win eight games last year. I overshot them. I had to win four. Like I <laughs> I overshot them, and they won four, three games. Like Can't miss prospect. That is one of my least favorite terms in all of sports. And we've talked about that numerous times. So I saw a list of players today, and it was like, can't miss prospect. Who are the can't miss prospects in this draft? Don't say that because then you're going to put all these real unrealistic expectations on maybe not unrealistic, but these insane expectations on these players going to these terrible ass teams. It's sometimes bound to happen. Like the sad reality of this is all the players that we are going to talk about today, not all of them will turn out to be anything in the NFL. The average NFL career is less than two years. And some of these guys that get drafted in the first few rounds won't last longer than some people that get undrafted. Like we talked about Courtney Brown last week with number former number one overall picks. He played four years in the NFL. Number one overall pick. Edge rusher. Can't miss prospect. Out in four years. Isaiah went um what was the the Georgia tackle? Went to Tennessee. Isaiah Wilson, he's out of the league in a year. He had some off the field issues, but he was out of the league in a year. Ruben Foster, out of the league in two years. Like different circumstances can lead players to being different things in how their NFL career is viewed. Ruben Foster was a top 10 prospect in the draft when he got drafted. Out of the league. Knee injuries, um, off the field issues, whatever. Out of the league. Kajana Carter, former number one overall pick, knee injuries. Kept Kept him out of having a good year, career in the NFL. Tim Couch was a can't miss prospect. Got thrown into the wor- a, a new Browns team. David Carr, same thing. Five thousand yard passer at Fresno State sucked because he got brutalized in Houston. Seventy six sacks his rookie year. Can't miss prospect. Those guys were not supposed to miss. You get drafted first overall. The expectations are you can't miss. You've got to be a very good player, but circumstances can lead to different outcomes. So don't put those unrealistic or uh, crazy expectations on some of these players. Have realistic expectations. It takes time, especially with these quarterbacks. Jordan Love came in the NFL needing time to sit. And people are calling him a bust because he's sitting behind Aaron Rodgers, one of the top ten quarterbacks of all time. Just won back-to-back MVPs. And people are talking about he can't play. He wasn't getting in front of Aaron Rodgers no matter how hard he tried. Aaron Rodgers sat for three years behind an aging Brett Favre that retired every other year. No one was talking about Aaron Rodgers being a bust. People hate Jordan Love. (laughs) People make fun of Jordan Love. He's sitting behind Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the draft pick's dumb. Yes, they should not have drafted him. But I said during that draft when we did our live stream, he was going either to the Saints or the Packers. And I think he should have gone to the Saints. I think that would have worked out a whole hell of a lot better for him. But give time to these players. Don't label them bust before they play to snap in the NFL. Do not do that. Do not bash any players because I saw a thing on Twitter today and it's talking about Kenny Pickett. And I swear, if we're the clown franchise that drafts one year wonder, fifth year senior Kenny Pickett, I won't be effing I won't effing and be shot. I hate that too. One year wonder. Joe Burrow wasn't one year ago. One year wonder. Joe Burrow did nothing at LSU before his last year, where he broke almost every single broke every single significant passing record, and then proceeded to win a national championship, a Heisman, and then go to a Super Bowl in his second year in the NFL, with a team that just had the number one overall pick two years prior. But you wouldn't draft him because he was a one year wonder. You would have drafted Tua because Tua had a lot more success in college than Joe Burrow did, right? If that's the real, if that's the logic we're going to use here, or the people that won't draft quarterbacks because oh, in the past. A quarterback didn't have success. Like I won't draft Justin Fields because Ohio State's never produced any good quarterbacks in the NFL. Their best quarterback was Tom Tupa, and he was a punter. Why? Like you wouldn't have, again? You wouldn't have drafted Joe Burrow because of Jamarcus Russell. What other LSU quarterbacks are mentioned? Matt Flynn, Jacob Etling. You wouldn't draft Herbert. You wouldn't have drafted Justin Herbert, Joey Harrington, Kellen Clemens, Akili Smith. Marcus Mariota, you wouldn't have drafted him. You wouldn't have drafted any of these guys. Because, oh, in the past, they've never, they didn't produce anybody. I don't care. It doesn't matter. One year up, one year dominant in college, still dominant enough to break every single significant pit passing record. It wasn't like it was some uh, one year and it was just good. He had a record setting year and won an ACC title. Went 11 and 2. This is Pittsburgh. This isn't some like, blue-collar, uh, top-notch program. I know they've produced some great players in the past, like Tony Dorsett and Dan Marino and LaShawn McCoy, but, like, this isn't a team competing for national championships anymore. Bill Fralick, another one? Like, there's this is not Pitt from the 80s or and 70s where they're dominant. This is just average Pitt football that was teetering on mediocrity for the however many years. And then Kenny Pickett comes in, has some, like, decent numbers, and then goes supernova. But we won't draft him because he had one good year. Sure, that could be somewhat of a concern. Why did, he, why did he peak so late? I didn't hear anybody say that about Joe Burrow. Kenny Pickett did not have a year like Joe Burrow, but it was still a record-setting year. So I don't want that either. I don't, there's a lot of things in the draft that frustrate me, and those are just, I think I think we listed five things that I wasn't even planning on really talking about, but that's just how this thing works, because it's the draft and it's unpredictable. The most unpredictable draft of all time. Go on tangent about things that, you know, I get frustrated about with the draft. Can't miss prospects. Can't get better in the NFL. Bust before they play to snap in the league. One One year wonder. What else did we say? There was something else in there, but I don't remember. But without further ado, here's the ranking. So quarterbacks are an intriguing one. I have been doing quarterback rankings all season, and they haven't really changed all too much. But I've done some changes since the last time we kind of talked about this, which I think was last Wednesday. I could be wrong. But the top quarterbacks, I don't know how many I'm going to go over. I don't want to just reveal the entire list because, you know, you can go look at it. I want to give you some, like, teasers and stuff. But the top five, Willis, Pickett, Corral, Ritter, Howell. So I think Willis is the highest ceiling because I think he can do the most. He's got the strongest arm in the draft class. He's the most elusive. He's a freaking tank. I've compared him to the Michael Vick in the past. I think that's a little hold on. It's a little unfair to Willis. So I'm not saying he's as as at um, electric as Michael Vick, but he's a big, big dude that can move. Six foot one, 225 pounds. His lower body is a freaking tank. Needs to work on accuracy. Same thing with Josh Allen, like we talked about before. You have the strongest arm in the class. You think you can fit the ball in every single hole imaginable, but you can't. And his on and a lot of the throws that he has are on a line. He needs to work on putting air under the ball. He'll get that. He'll sit for a few years and he'll get that. He'll get that. Kenny Pickett, you know what he's gonna. You have an idea of what he's gonna be because we just watched him in his last year at Pitt. He played for five years. I think he will be good. I like Kenny Pickett. I'm not really concerned about the small hands. Doesn't matter. Like he had less fumbles in his college career than Desmond Ritter did, and Desmond Ritter's hands like two and a half inches bigger than Penny, Kenny Pickett's hands. He had double the fumble, or t- double, 10 more fumbles than Kenny Pickett, or something like that. I think Kenny Pickett had 24, he had 34. I could be wrong, but I think those were what the, what the numbers were. And Kenny Pickett's a good athlete. He's big, good athlete, really competitive. People are going to like that about him. I don't know where he'll go. I don't know if he'll be to Carolina anymore, but he. I'm excited to see where he goes. I'm, I'm excited for Pickett. Uh, number three, Corral. Corral. Is probably the most natural thrower, if I want to put it like that, in the entire draft. Like this dude can make every throw imaginable, and he's very competitive, very tough quarterback, and a good leader. From what all you could tell, he just needs to clean up some things. Like there's times he'll force a ball. Like again, we talked about this before. We talked about before the season where he had 11 interceptions across two games. He didn't do that a lot last year, but he'll clean. He needs to clean that up a little bit more. He's not ready to play right away but he has a cannon for an arm. He's very athletic. I heard Chris Sims today. It was from an older video, but he was talking about Matt Corral being faster than Malik Willis. And I never really thought about that before. I don't think he's faster, but I think Corral is is a very good athlete. Like you saw that against Tennessee. Corral had like 30 carries for almost 200 yards rushing. I think he had 195 yards rushing. Got killed in that game. Very tough. 20 passing touchdowns, 10 rushing touchdowns. Like the dude can do everything. But a lot of people's concerns, I don't know if they're really fair concerns, or if it's, is he just a, victor or a, a product of the Lane Kiffin system. RPOs constantly. That's all they do. RPO, RPO, RPO. I don't know, but I like Matt Corral. Matt Corral's a very, very good quarterback. Number four, Desmond Ritter. I switched them around, Ritter and Corral. I think Ritter still has some things to clean up in his passing game. He's bigger than Corral. He's more experienced than Corral. He's, um, he's, uh... For his size, I don't know if I'd say he's more athletic than Corral. But he is a very good athlete. He's got a really strong arm, just needs to clean up some things accuracy-wise. But he's good. Leadership-wise, very, very good. And Sam Howell, we talked about this before the season started. We knew the numbers were going to go down. We knew this. We said it before the season even started. He lost Michael Carter, Javante Williams, Diami Brown, and Daz Newsome. He was going to lose some, he was going to drop off some numbers. But what he lost, or whatever you want to call it, in passing yards, he gained in rushing yards. I think he was the second, had the second most rushing yards in college football for quarterbacks behind Malik Cunningham. I think. I could be wrong about that outside of like the triple option schools. But again, I don't even know what the triple option schools really had. But Hal's awesome. Very, very strong arm. He had the strongest arm in regards to miles per hour, how hard he threw the ball at the combine. Cannon for an arm. Um, yeah. I'm excited to see what Sam Howell can do at the next level. Other quarterbacks on here, we got Bailey Zappi. I just don't know what his, what his arm strength is. Very good numbers in college. Played at Sam Houston State. Played at Western Kentucky. Put up awesome numbers. Broke Joe Burrow's passing records for yards and touchdowns. He'll be a good late-round pick. Carson Strong's at six. He's above Bailey Zappi. Best deep ball thrower in the draft. Just not mobile. When I say deep ball thrower, I don't think his arm's the strongest. But I think he can throw a very consistent deep ball. It's very rarely underthrown. He, he can throw all all, every and everything, all and everything, good Lord, of the fade routes to the corner of the end zones, which I hate those routes. I'm a I'm big anti-fade route to the corner of the end zone. Hate them with a passion. When you're starting at the five-yard line throw those fade routes, hate them. But you know what? It worked for him at Nevada, so maybe it'll work at the next level. Hold on, I'm going to take a sip of water real quick. But yeah, I like Carson Strong a lot. And we got Caleb Ellaby. From Western Michigan, EJ Perry from Brown and Jack Cohn from Notre Dame rounding out the top ten. And Keel Glass is there as well, Alabama AM and guy. But, yeah, Jack Cohn, did really, he, did, he helped himself a lot this offseason. Had a pretty decent showing at the combine, one of the few quarterbacks to run in the first group. It was him and, I think, Chase Garbers from Cal. It was either him or Dustin Crum. I don't remember which one it was that ended up running in the 40, but, yeah. Experienced college quarterback, nothing spectacular, but it would be a nice late-round draft pick. Uh, running backs, Brees Hall, uh, Brees Hall's number one, Kenneth Walker two. I saw something. I don't know if we brought this up last time. I brought it up on Friday on and company, which you can listen again on Thursday when we talk about the draft, but they, it was a Buffalo fanatics post, which I've said, said, follow them before. If you're a bills fan, but this was not one of their better takes. It was Brees Hall equals Clatterd's Delaire and Kenneth Walker's, um, Jonathan Taylor. Okay. If we're going to go down that route, let's dissect this real quick. Jonathan Taylor was RB one or two. It was him and DeAndre Swift in that draft. Claire Rizalair is number three. Neither one of these guys are number three. They're both one and two, Brace Hall and Kenneth Walker. So there's that thing out the window. And then comparing Brace Hall to Claire Rizalair, Brace Hall has consistently rushed for over 1,000 yards. Claire Rizalair had one season at LSU where he had a, over 1,000 yards. Jonathan Taylor had multiple 2,000-yard seasons. Kenneth Walker had one season of production. So why is the running back that had one season production compared to the guy with consistent production and the guy that had one year of production compared to the guy with also consistent production? Why is that a thing? Clara Zolaire is also smaller. Kenneth Walker is smaller. Jonathan Taylor and uh, Brees Hall are about the same size. So where is the comparison between Clara Zolaire and Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker and Jonathan Taylor? That the comparison doesn't make any sense. I saw that and I instantly screenshotted it because I was like, what the hell is that? doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Brees Hall is bigger than Kenneth Walker. For how big he is, ran barely slower in the 40-yard dash time than him. Tested better. One of the best pure athletes in the entire draft. Is a better receiver out of the backfield. Can block better. Like, I have no issues with Kenneth Walker. He could develop. He's going to develop into a very nice running back. I have no doubt about that. But let's not compare Brees Hall to a running back three when he's not a running back three. Brees Hall is the number one running back in this class. I don't know what people... I mean, for what Kenneth Walker did at Michigan State, very influential in how Michigan State moved things, almost to the detriment, because they couldn't pass. They really couldn't pass last year. But Kenneth Walker was an absolute baller at Michigan State last season. Baller. And there's a lot more... I guess you could call it tread on the tires, because he's had, again, only that one-year production. I had a lot of carries last year, but he didn't really do a lot the seasons prior. I think it was at Wake Forest or Vanderbilt, one of the Golden Black teams. I think it was Wake Forest. But yeah, next one, James Cook, a running back from Georgia. Again, he's kind of in that similar mold to that of Josh Jacobs from Alabama where he came from a platoon system where he was working with Zemir White, running back from Georgia. He's also on this list as well. He's going to get drafted at some point this draft. Again, we talked about this before. I don't remember how often, but this running back class is good. This is a good running back class. Nothing to be sniffed at. Like, I like a lot of the things these running backs do, especially the top two guys, and even James Cook. James Cook is probably the best natural receiver out of these quarter, out of these running backs in this draft class? Didn't put up a ton of numbers in his season at Georgia. In his career at Georgia, I guess I should say. Like, he didn't even have over 800 yards receiving. Had seven touchdowns, which is both less than what Ken, uh, Zamir White had. Averaged 6.4 yards of carry. But yeah, averaged over 10 yards of re- reception three of his four years at Georgia. So, yeah, I like James Cook a lot. 5'11", 190, tested very well at the Combine. He's running back three for me. Running back four, we got Rashad White from Arizona State. Rashad White is a very natural receiver out of the backfield. Bigger guy, bigger running back, which is what I really like about it. I love these bigger backs that can catch the ball out of the backfield. Six two, two 210 pounds. Last season at Arizona State, he had 456 yards. He averaged 10.6 yards a reception last year. Both seasons at Arizona State, over 10 yards receiving. Over 10 yards <laughs> reception. Though he only had one touchdown, and then running the ball, he had over 1,000 yards this year rushing the ball. 1,006, and had 15 rushing touchdowns. I like Rashad White a lot. I'm a big I'm a big fan of Rashad White, and I think he could go somewhere in the third round. I hope he can go somewhere in the third round. I think Kenneth Walker will go in the third, second round. Brees Hall, probably first to early third. He'll be the first running back taken. I'm pretty confident in saying that. James Cook could fall somewhere in the second round, but probably early th- early third round. Rashad White will go third, and then you'll have the likes of Damian, Pree- Damian Pierce from Florida. Like we said before, he did not come through with a bunch of statistics at Florida. He had less yards at Florida than James Cook had at Georgia. Like, he never had a season where he had over 600 yards receive, rushing, but he had 13 touchdowns. He had over 216 yards receiving his last year, averaged 11.4 yards a carry, 16 total touchdowns, 5'10", 215 pounds, but he'll come in at number four. I, it's a, again, production is one thing to look at, but it doesn't tell you the whole story. It does not tell you the whole story. Because Damian Pierce is a very nice running back. He just didn't get used as much as what he definitely should in Florida as a team last year, were just extremely frustrating. Emory Jones was supposed to be a baller, got benched for Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson gets, gets hurt after rushing for over 100 and throwing over over 100 against USF, a game that should have been a cakewalk for Florida, and Emory Jones struggled. And then Emory Jones took the job back, and then they started struggling again. So I, they were just a very frustrating team. But other running backs, Kyron Williams to Notre Dame, smaller back, smaller back, didn't test extremely well, which hurt, which is gonna hurt him a little bit. He's five foot nine, around two hundred pounds, but best for how big he is. He's a very good pass blocker, very good pass blocker, also very good receiver out of the backfield as well. I like Kyron Williams a lot. Isaiah Spiller comes in here, consistent running back at over a thousand yards two times in his career, almost a third time had over nine hundred yards his first year, but you know we'll stick him in at seven. Zamir White, consistent at Georgia. Had some good numbers. I think his his year before, if I remember correctly, was better than what it was last year. But again, James Cook also got more implement more influence in the team this year. Okay, no it's not. No it's not. He still had good numbers. He, his numbers are about the same. But he's not as fast. He's not as athletic and not as good a receiver as James Cook which is why you'll see James Cook get taken before Zamir White. Pierre Strong, his, his, his concern, I guess you can call it, is, well there's two of them, okay? <laughs> the first one is that he comes from an FCS school, South Dakota State. Now, they did win a national championship during his time there. Or no, they lost. They lost the same Houston State. I take that back. But, so there's that issue. And then he's ran, he's tel- totaled a lot of carries. A lot of carries. He had 240 carries his last year at South Dakota State. 240 carries. Had some decent numbers out of the passing game as well. Had over 10 yards receiving. 10 yards per reception two times in his career. Nine, over nine yards receiving one time. Yeah, 18 touchdowns last year rushing the ball, 1,600 yards, three times he rushed for over 1,000 yards. I like I like Pierre Strong a lot. But that tread of the tires thing I know will probably scare some teams off. And then finally, Brian Robinson. It's kind of hard to mess around with Alabama running backs. Brian Robinson sat around, waited, had a lot of very good running backs to play before him at Alabama, but waited his time and was extremely, extremely, extremely important in Alabama's run in the national championship. Before they lost to Georgia, but 1,300 yards, 14 touchdowns. Also had 296 yards receiving last year. Like, before last year, he had never had over 500 yards rushing. Never had over 100 carries. But he balled out this year. He really balled out. I like Brian Robinson a lot bigger back. Not an insane receiver out of the backfield, but can. And showed later in the season what he can do with the ball out of the backfield. Like, it's Georgia. They used him a lot. He balled out against Cincinnati. He had 204 yards rushing. It was a season high and career high. But yeah, Brian Robinson, I have him coming at 10. Other running backs we're talking about Devontae. Price, Pierre, Price from Florida International. Ty Chandler, older guy, but like him, he's 24 years old. Weird saying he's an older guy, but he I like him a lot. Uh Tyrion Davis Price. Remember when we talked about Florida having a, you know, a good rush defense last year? And they're like, oh, they'll be fine. They'll be absolutely fine. They're playing, they're playing freaking LSU, one of the worst rushing teams in college football. And Tyrion. <laughs> Davis Price wrestled for 287 yards and three touchdowns. Florida had one of the top rush defenses of college football, and then just got blitzed by LSU and Terry and Davis Price. Absolutely blitzed. It was terrible. So I picked Florida in this game. This is when we were doing bets. Picked Florida, and they lost. They lost. They got absolutely destroyed by Terry Davis Price. So <laughs> that one hurt. That one hurt a little bit. Uh, next one, we got wide receivers. Uh, if Jamison Williams didn't tear his ACL, he'd be easily number one. I still have him at number one. Like just what he does—six foot two, 190 pounds. Not only does he take the top off defense, that dude gets dirty in the run game. But that's a staple for all Nick Saban wide receivers. Does things in special teams as well. Not talking about returning. He gets on the gunner squad. He'll make tackles on special teams. Like Jamison Williams will do all the dirty work for you and then some, while also being the best receiver in college football. If he didn't get hurt, again, he'd be a top 10 pick easy. But the knee injury will scare some teams off, and I don't really know. He'll fall between that 10 and 15 range probably. Jets and Eagles, top two teams to look at him. Maybe the Chiefs trade up for him. That's a real possibility as well. Because the Chiefs like trading up in drafts. Next one, Garrett Wilson. I like his mentality. That's my favorite thing about Garrett Wilson mentality. That dude's a dog. Absolute dog. I'm not saying he's like the greatest athlete or he's the biggest wide receiver. No, he's about six foot. ran a fast 40. Can make can make any catch out there. The dude's awesome. I like Garrett Wilson a lot. Uh, Drake London's next. Not the most athletic, but again, we talked about before with Keaton Slovis' accuracy. Like, completion percentage can only tell you so much, and when you look at someone like Drake London, Keaton Slovis' completion percentage can be thanked a lot by Drake London, making all those catches. Keaton Slovis did not play good last year. Keaton Slovis did not play good at all last year for USC, and Drake London saved that a lot before he got hurt against Arizona. Like, that dude... Was all USC former basketball player can out jump everybody, but again, the speed factor is um, at least when you're talking about straight line speed. He's quick off the ball, which is very nice, but his straight line speed is nothing spectacular. When you look at it like Jamison Williams, it's nowhere close to that. He didn't test in the forty. I think that would have might have Some teams might have been scared of that, so he didn't test it. But if, once he's healthy, very awesome wide receiver. Number four, Chris Olave, speedster, touchdown machine. Broke the Ohio State receiving record for touchdowns in the seat, or touchdowns over career. Not the biggest guy, a little bit smaller, but if you're looking for vertical vertical threats, him and Jamison Williams are probably the top two guys when you're looking at first round. Uh, there's another guy we'll time on a little bit in regards to first round guys. But Chris Olave, awesome receiver. Number five, Traylon Burks from Arkansas, Swiss Army knife, can do everything. Not the most, you know, when I, I thought he would be somebody that would be a really good tester at the combine. I thought that was what he's gonna be. I thought he was gonna be this insane athlete that was gonna run somewhere like a DK Metcalf, something like that. But then he didn't really test that great. He ran somewhere around a four-five-five forty time, which isn't anything to be sniffed at at all for how big he is—about six foot 225 pounds. The dude do everything. If you're looking for someone that is similar-ish to Debo Samuel, I'm not saying he is or will ever become something like Debo Samuel, but that dude can do literally everything for your team. Everything. And he's also a really good run blocker. Arkansas is a very run-first team. K.J. Jefferson's a fine quarterback, but he's not a very – he's not a great passer. Strong arm, but nothing great passing-wise. So when he runs the ball, he's a monster. He's like six foot five, two 260 pounds. Frickin' monster. So Traylon Burks had to run block. So that's another big thing there. That's kind of what helped Rashad Bateman last year. When you look at what him, got him into the first round, his fast 40 time, and the fact that Minnesota's passing game dropped significantly, Tanner Morgan started – Sucking. Let's just put it like that. And Muhammad Ibrahim started balling out. So they turned into a run-first team. They completely switched their offensive philosophy. Rashad Bateman came in and started run-blocking, and that significantly helped his draft stock. Uh, number six, Jahan Dotson from Penn State. He's not as big as Drake London, but that dude can make circus catches as well. I think the best two guys at making insane catches in the draft are Jahan Dotson and Drake London. Those are the top two guys. Jahan Dotson's about six inches shorter (laughs) than than Drake London. And Jahan Dotson also didn't have good quarterback play. It's Sean Clifford. So it wasn't like it was anything spectacular there. Great, very fast wide receiver. Didn't run as fast as what people were kind of expecting, but he's still a baller nonetheless. Number seven, we have Christian Watson from North Coast State. I like Watson a lot. But again, he comes in that system of didn't put up a lot of numbers in college. Played at North Coast State, a very run-heavy team. North Coast State is the number one team in college football and the FCS level of punching you in the mouth. North Dakota State still runs I formation, like North Dakota State is still stuck in the nineties, but they'll still take the top off you. Like when you when Trey Lance was there, Trey Lance did everything. He had over thousand yards. He had twelve hundred yards rushing, twenty eight hundred yards passing. Like that dude did everything. And uh, Christian Watson never had over eight hundred yards receiving. And I heard this the other day, where people are somewhat concerned of his hands, and it was kind of a situation where he doesn't get the ball enough. So, every time the ball comes towards him, he gets kind of excited and turns his head upfield and drops it. It's not that he's looking the ball in and just hits his chest. He can't grab it or anything. He just gets really excited when he's catching the ball. So, he'll turn that down a little bit. But at 6'4", about 190 to 200 pounds, this dude ran a four three three or 4-3-something-40. That's ridiculous. <coughs> and I know I've said the 40 is not everything. It's not. Because there's a difference. Again, there's a difference between football speed and 40-yard dash speed. But... Christian Watson, nonetheless, for how big he is, how fast he ran, that is still very impressive, very, very impressive. I'm excited to see where he goes in the draft. I think he could fall into that late first round, early second round of the draft. Number eight, Sky Moore from Western Michigan. Uh, slot guy, but can also work very well on the outside as well. I think like there's one team that I've seen linked with him, and that's the Buffalo Bills. And I would be perfectly content with Sky Moore making his way to Western New York. Sky Moore is a baller. And last year, you saw that. 1,200 yards receiving, 10 yards touchdown, 10, 10 touchdowns receiving the ball. Didn't do anything really in 2020, but had great numbers this year. Doesn't really drop the ball, which is key. Worked from the slot and outside, Six 5'11", 195 pounds. Not necessarily the biggest guy, but his moves off the line of scrimmage might be, not saying 100% confirmed, but they might be one of the best in the entire draft in his moves off the line. The dude's awesome. And if the Bills don't end up going for someone like Brees Hall or Kyler Gordon from Washington, Sky Moore could definitely be a candidate there because the Bills are trying to alleviate drops from their wide receivers. It's one thing Sean McDermott values more than anything. That's why Zay Jones was out after one year. You see all the receivers the Bills had and how many they brought in before and after Josh Allen. Ridiculous. Like Josh Allen's rookie year, was Zay Jones, Robert Foster, and Kelvin Benjamin. Drops, drops, drops. And then now it's Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, Jameson Crowder. (laughs) No drops. So that's key there. And Sky Moore is one of those players that would fit into that category, and he's very fast. Very, very fast. And Sean McDermott said he's not afraid of adding more speed to the roster, and he would add that and then some. So I would not be surprised in the slightest if Sky Moore not only went to the Bills, but was a first-round draft pick in general. Uh, Number nine, George Pickens from Georgia. If he didn't have an ACL injury we might be talking about a little higher never put up insane numbers recently at Georgia made some insane catches though made an insane one in the national championship game against Alabama but yeah the was just knee injury concerns pretty much like he could and we're looking at potential he could look at one of being the top one of the wide receivers one of the hmm. repeat that if people are looking solely on potential because the numbers aren't there after his freshman year, his numbers went down significantly. He had 107 yards receiving last year. He came back from a knee injury, but he could be someone that slips in that first round. And people are looking at someone with potential. He's an absolute dog, six foot three, 200 pounds, big dude, can burn. Like, if you're looking for a wide receiver, late first, early second, I would not be surprised if George Pickens fell into that category. And then the last one on here, number ten. There's 20 wide receivers we have here, but we're only going to ten for this. Uh, David Bell did not test very well. David Bell was a very slow. Was slow at the combine, but I think he ca- kind of falls in that same category as like jo- uh, John Jonathan Taylor, uh, Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry did not test well at all, but David Bell in his time at Purdue was an absolute monster. Six foot two, two hundred five pounds. He's not an he's not a burner, but he put over twelve hundred yards last year. He had a thousand yards a couple seasons prior. Ha- always had over five touchdowns in a season. Like David Bell. That dude can ball. I don't care about his testing numbers. I don't care about his testing numbers. He will. He's going to be a good wide receiver in the NFL. I've seen it. I've watched him. The dude's going to be a good wide receiver. And there's other players that could go out there that are a lot faster. Like the next three players, in the next four on this list. I actually, you know what? I might move someone a little bit higher. Hold on. Switch. Okay, we got Alec Pierce from Cincinnati. Bigger dude, but can fly. And then Calvin Austin, track dude, we predicted he'd run the fast 40 at the combine. Didn't end up doing that, but still ran a really fast 40. Then John Mechie also coming off a knee injury. And Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama, very fast, but comes from a smaller school. Wondell Robinson, another player there as well. Romeo Dubs from Nevada can absolutely fly. Valias Jones and Tyquan Thornton from Baylor and Tennessee, respectively, can also fly. So there's many, many wide receivers in this draft. Like We could go to 30 wide receivers if we really wanted to, and hell... By the time this gets released, I might have 30 wide receivers on here. I might be adding more things to this. But those are my top receivers, tight ends. Uh, Trey McBride's number one, easily. Most complete tight end in the draft by far. George Kittle-esque. He had a, led the nation in tight end for tight ends, receiving yards, receptions. And again, we brought this up numerous times before, but he had only one touchdown, which is very weird. <laughs> for how many yards he had, how many receptions he had, to only have one touchdown It's very odd. But Colorado State, not a great football team. Not a great football team. Sorry to take a water, drink of water. My throat's starting to give out on me. We've been talking for a very, very long time. I haven't had a show this long. In a while, I shouldn't have talked so long about the 2018 draft class. Uh, next one, Greg Dolcich from UCLA. Okay, the first thing you have to say about Greg Dolcich is the hair. Greg Dolcich, he had an interview a few weeks ago where it was like, oh, what's the hair product used? What's all this? He said, I just woke up. I just my hair, just looks like this. Average almost 20 yards of reception two years ago had 17.3 yards receiving if you la receiving yards per reception had five touchdowns both years I like Greg Dolch a lot very athletic tight end his 40 time was really weird because he ran a really fast 40 time the first time and then his number dropped significantly it was like in the four fours and then dropped all the way to four seven his second time I can't remember what the numbers were but it was very odd six foot four 245 pounds really nice natural receiver receiving tight end. Next one, we got Jelani Woods who tore up the Combine. Like, people knew Jelani Woods was going to be a good tight end or was expecting him to be a fairly good tight end at the next level, but he blew up the Combine. At six foot seven, two 265 pounds, this dude, bur- I don't remember what his 40 was exactly. Hold on. 40-yard dash. 40-yard dash. had a 4'6", 140-yard dash. The second fastest out of the tight ends of the Combine. At 6'7, 265 pounds, he ran a 4'6 1. What? <laughs> the, the only faster tight end weighed 238 pounds. Almost <laughs> 20, 20 pounds more. Than the next close the guy who ran faster than him. And he still put up insane numbers. Jelani Woods, very good wide receiver. Very good wide receiver. Massive dude. Can dominate the run game if need be. But his numbers in at Virginia were nothing like spectacular. Like before last year he never had over 120, 120 130 yards receiving, never had more than two touchdowns receiving. But he always had good yards per reception. He always had over 10 yards rece- or over 15 yards receiving, at least for two of his years at Oklahoma State, then transferred to Virginia, and put up almost 600 yards receiving and eight touchdowns there athletically. him and I would put I know he didn't test very well by comparison Isaiah likely is a very good athlete when he's playing. He did not test the best, which is concerning, is concerning. But I still, I'm still i still liking Isaiah Likely. I still like Isaiah Likely. So I have him still at number four. I'm keeping Likely in this top area. We're keeping him at number four. <laughs> very good receiver. Not very big comparison to like Trey McBride and Jelani Woods. But he's a nice receiver. Very athletic. When he's playing, do not just look at the numbers running when he tests. And at number five, we have Jeremy Ruckert. Uh, Nothing great statistically. But he's coming in that same mold. We brought up George Kittle twice earlier. But when we're looking at just numbers in college, Jeremy Ruckert never put up anything spectacular at Ohio State. But that goes down to the fact that Ohio State had the best receiving core in college football last year and has had a very good receiving core ever since Jeremy Ruckert was there. And he still had a career year in receiving yards last year. Like you have a big three of Jackson Smith and Jig, but Chris Alave, and Garrett Wilson all top all first-round draft picks eventually, because Jackson Smith the Jigba will be a first-rounder next year. Maybe a top-ten pick. Maybe you have three top-ten picks. You're going to maybe have three top-15 picks out of the wide receiver group. Jeremy Records' numbers were never going to be anything spectacular, but he's a good athlete from the tight end position. He has good size, 6'5", 252 pounds. Had to block a lot. Trey Hendrickson had a bunch of yards at Ohio State last year. Needed to block. Midwest team, Big, big Ten team, you're going to have to block, and he can do that. And then uh, others we got on here i, I got to shorten these down a little bit, <laughs> this the talking part. But Chigazim Okwanku from Maryland, another really good athlete. Another really good athlete. Charlie Kohler, very good receiving tight end. Needs to work on some blocking techniques there as well. He's gotten blown up a few times while at Iowa State and even in the the Senior Bowl by smaller defenders. But, yeah, those are some of the tight ends I really, really like. Chigazim Okwanku will be someone that I would look out for in that. I, I, I guess I don't really have a – a time frame for where I think the tight ends will get drafted. I don't really have that. I don't really have that. But Okonkwu is not necessarily the biggest. He's only six foot two. He's not as big as any of some of the other tight ends on here. But very natural receiver. 52 catches last year, 5 touchdowns. But it's not the biggest guy in the world. So that's why he comes in at 8. Uh, tackles. Ike McQuanu number 1. He's coming that guard-tackle hybrid. But I guess Evan Neal can come in that as well. Played guard-tackle at Alabama. Played both. Both are dominant. Evan Neal is better in the pass game, and Akwanku... Akwanku... Jeez. is way better in the run game. Way better in the run game. I'm not saying they're bad at either or. Akwanu's not bad at the pass game. Neal's not bad in the run game. But that's just how it fits right now. Akwanku can play multiple positions. He's not necessarily the biggest guy in comparison. I mean, he's 6'4", about 310 pounds. Whereas Evan Neal's 6'7", about 340 so it's a big difference in size. If you're wanting to look for what you think a tackle should look like, you're probably going to draft someone like Evan Neal. If you want who I think is the best tackle in the draft, you take a Quanu. A uh, next one on here, we got Charles Cross, best pass protector in the draft, easily. Like, it's not even really close. We just don't know what he is running the ball, when they run the ball. we talked about this about a thousand times. Like, Mississippi State and Washington State, like, it's, with Mike Leach offenses, they're not going to run. They're not going to run. So when you come into the NFL as a tackle, it's going to be interesting to see how you develop your game as a whole. But Cross is very athletic, so we'll see. He should be able to develop that natural left tackle, but could probably switch over to right tackle. He doesn't have the exact same versatility as Neil and Aquanu, where they can both play guard and tackle. Cross will just play tackle. He ain't he ain't moving to guard anytime soon. He's just playing tackle. Uh, number four, Trevor Penning, Mahler. Same with Aquanu, Mahler. Can play guard as well. There's sometimes the senior bowl, and I've seen these pop up a little bit more, that are kind of like, yeah, that's cool, but there was one play where he threw a guy down and it hit Ritter in the knees. Like that kind of, yeah, you threw him down, but you don't really want to keep doing that <laughs> because uh, you're going to get cut because, yeah, you blocked him and you might have dominated him, but you threw him right into the knees of the quarterback. That's going gonna, gonna to get you in trouble. But for how big he is, playing at a smaller school, very good athlete, very flexible from the tackle position, which is what you want, and showed off his versatility in senior bowl playing at guard as well. Next, Tyler Smith, probably the – him and Charles Cross are both up there in regards to the best uh, athletes in the draft when it comes to the tackles. Very good athlete. Can play both guard and tackle. Better in the run game, needs to develop some work in his pass game. Can play guard if needed. And he's one of those players where he's going to get drafted to probably a team that has an established tackle. Someone like – or maybe. I shouldn't say that for certainty. But I think him and Bernard Raymond, the next two guys on this list, will fall into somewhere in that category, I think. So, like, the Cowboys, I think, are a team there where you have Tyrone Smith there, Packers, you've got um, Jenkins, you've got Bakhtiari, maybe. Those are the situations there. Even at guard, you've got guards there. But they're both going to – Bernard Raymond's a former tight end, came over from Austria, and now he's talking about a possible first-round draft pick. Like, former tight end. Two years ago, he was a tight end, and now he's possibly a first-round draft pick. Insane. But I think Smith and Raymond kind of fall in that similar category. Uh, number seven, Daniel Falalele from Minnesota. Monster. Six foot nine, 400 pounds. Not a lot to say that. <laughs> like, people were concerned about his mobility. Can move well. For how big he is, he can move pretty well. Then we got Abraham Smith from Washington State. A little bit smaller, but, you know, you get with Washington State, you get good pass blockers. That's what Abraham Smith is. Uh, then finally, out, we got Abraham. Oh, geez, Nicholas petit Frere, who was a first-round draft pick. Until he got absolutely annihilated by Aiden Hutchinson, and now he's no one knows where he's going to go. And then Luke Godke from Central Michigan, another Central Michigan guy. So we got two Central Michigan guys in the top ten for tackles. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Interior offensive lineman. We got Tyre Linderbaum from Iowa, who feels like he will, unfortunately, fall to the second round. I don't think it's fair. I think Tyre Linderbaum has the talent of a top fifteen pick. But his position, his size, his length, that's keeping him out of the first round from what it sounds like. Athletically, he's one of the, if not the most athletic interior linemen in the draft. But the length thing's going to be a concern to some people. So he'll probably fall to the second round. I'm not saying he'll fall extremely far in the second round. Maybe the Jaguars pick him up at 33. And then you've got an interior line with two Iowa guys and Brandon Scherf and Tyler Lindenbaum. That'd be pretty cool. Like, Doug Peterson once. An elite offensive line. Those would be two good pieces to have there. Uh, Next one, Zion Johnson, very easy to root for. Zero star recruit, came into college, beat like 220 pounds at Davidson, played at a triple option school, now is a guaranteed starter or guaranteed first round draft pick. He's going to probably be the first interior lineman drafted. I would say that Kenyon Green would challenge him, but there's some reports that Kenyon Green has a bad knee, so that could see him slide a little bit. Not saying deservingly because Kenyon Green's the most versatile lineman in this draft class. Literally played every position last year on the offensive line. Has even done work at center this offseason. So we'll see if that goes. Zion Johnson's practiced some center this offseason as well as played tackle and guard at Boston College and Davidson. Went from a zero star recruit to an All American to a first round draft pick. Very easy, very easy to root for Zion Johnson. They got Darian Kennard. Tackle, mostly played left tackle. He's going to start off at guard this year. They're going to transition him to guard this season. But then I think there was an injury or something at left tackle that saw him go back to left tackle. We're talking about run blockers. He's one of the best run blockers in this draft class. Very stocky frame, about six four, 200, or 200, 325 to 330 pounds. Like he's just an absolute beast on the offensive line. He went from a possible first round, though I bet he'll fall somewhere late second, early third probably. I like, I like Darian Kennard. And Jeremy Saylor, Saylor, Jeremy Saylor from Georgia Play a little bit tackle there as well. It's just a Georgia player. I think every single Georgia player kind of falls in a similar mindset of, this dude's just going to beat people up. That's what Jeremy Sawyer saw was last year. That's what he was. Six foot four. Like, the dude. Jeez. Sorry. I'm trying to get things to load up here, but they're not really loading up for me. Six, <laughs> six foot three, 321 pounds. Again, played some tackle there. Repped up 31 times on the bench press. He's a very strong very strong dude. Can't play tackle if need be, but will probably line up at guard at the next level. Next players on this list. We're not going to really go over anything because again, I'm going to try and get a drink of water real quick. I ran out here. Uh, we got Dylan Parham from Memphis, guard. We got Cole Strange from Tennessee, Chattanooga, who's a, who's a guard. Then we got Donovan West from Arizona State. Zach Tom, who can play some who's kind of in between between guard and tackle, can play both. And Luke Fortner from Kentucky. I think Cam Jurgens from Nebraska is someone that be watched out there as well. And Sean Ryan from From UCLA, guard tackle hybrid was very instrumental in a lot of their really good run games for UCLA. And with a Chip Kelly-style offense, you're going to have to run block, and that's what Sean Ryan did. Very athletic, uh, just needs to work somewhat on the pass game, nothing crazy. But those are the interior linemen in the 2022 NFL Draft. We're going to start off with the interior defensive lineman, Jordan Davis from from Georgia. I think everybody, everybody understands... What Jordan Davis is now, <laughs> I mean, before the season started, uh, we were very high on Jordan Davis, but we were also high on. I think a lot of people kind of fell under this. Uh, Demarvin Leal from <laughs> Texas A and M kind of fell off the face of the earth. I really don't know what happened to Demarvin Leal. I really don't know what happened. I saw Matt Miller tweet this today. I don't know who's fallen harder in this draft process than Texas A and M prospects, like going into the offseason or going into the season. They had so many people that were like, oh, this guy could be a first-round draft, but this guy could be a first-round draft, but this guy could be a first-round driver. Like Isaiah Spiller, Jalen Weidermeyer, DeMarvin Leal. All tops or near the tops of their position groups. Now all of them, at least to me, have dropped down in the six, seven, eight range. Like, it's so weird. <laughs> people just viewed these guys a oh, hell, hell of a lot differently. But no one's really changed their opinions on Jordan Davis. At least I haven't. We've been very high on Jordan Davis because we knew... What he was, a dominant force on the inside, six, three six, 340 pounds, as we said earlier, dominant in the run game, and in the pass game again, like we said earlier. Though he's not going to put up massive numbers in the pass game, and yes, he might need a snap count. He might need that. Basically a pitch count. But for what he does, he takes on double teams very, very well. He is athletic enough to, if he gets past the double team, he can get to the quarterback, and if he catches the running back, which he can because these Georgia linemen are just all freak athletes for some reason. Like this draft will be dominated by Georgia. This draft will be absolutely dominated by the Georgia Bulldogs. And Jordan Davis is the main reason, one of the main reasons before that. Like, Jordan Davis, before the season started and now, is one of the few players that Georgia has where everybody was like, this guy's good. Okay, he's as good as we thought. <laughs> and now he's going to be the number one D-tackle taken, probably. So yeah, He's number one. Devontae White's number two. Top testers in the Combine. Like, what do you run at? four seven seven forty? 7'40"? Jordan Davis ran a four seven eight 8' or something like that? That's ridiculous. For how big these guys are? Devontae Wyatt is a lot smaller than Jordan Davis, but I guess that's not really saying a lot because I think a lot of people, not just in the NFL but in the world, are a lot smaller than Jordan Davis. Like, Jordan Davis is six 6'6", 340 pounds like we said. Devontae Wyatt is 3 inches shorter and 25 pounds lighter. So <laughs> he's going to be able to move a little bit better, this last year was a career year for him. They kicked him in. They had Trayvon Walker move back outside, so there's not much as rotation of the inside anymore. But Devontae Wyatt put up decent numbers, 18 tackles, solo tackles, 39 total, two and a half sacks, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery. Just a very athletic interior D-lineman and very nice. Batman to Jordan Davis's or Robin to Jordan Davis's Batman while at Georgia. Very disruptive from the interior D-line. Next one, Travis Jones. Monster. Just really strong. Really, really strong D-line. We talked about him before, where the dude just is super, super, super strong. And played for a terrible, terrible, terrible college team. Won four games over the course of his career at UConn. Didn't put up anything, like, amazing numbers-wise in regards to stats, but this dude is just really strong. Very powerful, played at a bad university, so maybe there is that concern, I guess, of people going, oh, he played at a bad university, so that means he's going to just shine because everybody else is so bad around him. I think that works for basketball. I don't really think that works for football because in this case, he can get double teamed by the opposings off the line, and they're not going to have any other threats. Like, if you look at the last few games, last four games for UConn, they last 45-17, 49-17, 44-7, and 44-13. Like, they are bad, bad, very bad. And Travis Jones put up four and a half sacks this past season, career high at three and a half sacks the season prior, 48 tackles, also a career high. But apart from sacks, he's been really consistent. I always have over 40 tackles in the season. He's gone up every year in sacks. So yeah, Jordan Davis just bullies people. He's a local kid. He's from New Haven, Connecticut. So he just he's just an absolute bully. Similar to that, Jordan Davis. Similar to that, Jordan Davis. Also ran really fast at the combine. Ran like a four-eight something at the combine. Next one, Logan Hall. Opposed to what we just talked about with Jordan Davis and, um, what's his nuts? The guy we just said, Travis Jones, <laughs> Logan Hall is not big by comparison. He's got the height. He's six foot six, but he's 275 pounds. He's not six foot six, 340 pounds. Like, let's just, what is the, I'm going to try, we're going to, I was going to try and do quick math. So 340 minus 275. He is 65 pounds lighter than Jordan Davis. 65 pounds lighter. That is ridiculous. And yet he still makes his presence known. There's times he works outside as well. So there's an argument that he could just be an edge rusher. And I see that. But he's lining up in—he's de- lining up on the inside. He's lined up his interior. He's going to play a 3-4 defensive end. He's not going to be a stand-up outside linebacker on a 3-4 defense. He's not going to be a natural edge rusher coming off a 4-3 defense. He's going to be that 3-4 defensive end that will cause problems mostly in the run game, but can get to the running quarterback as much as he wants and as, as he can. He had six sacks last year, forty-seven tackles, both career highs. He's one of the players that it seems like is going to slide in that first round, where no one's really expecting it, and then it happens. Like Peyton Turner last year was just a Houston thing. He got drafted twenty-eighth by the Saints last year, and that threw everybody off. And Peyton Turner was just. He wasn't anything special last year, as most people expected him, because it wasn't a very good, was a very weird pick. Same with the Alex Leatherwood pick for the Raiders. Very weird pick. But Logan Hall, I would not be surprised if he went in the first round at all. Especially to one of those three The The Bucks, the Packers, in the latter stages of the first round. I think it'd be primo spots for him. I think that'd be very interesting to see if he would fall in one of those spots because I think he could thrive in those situations. Next one, Perrion Winfrey from Oklahoma. <laughs> the most memorable thing to me that Perrion Winfrey's ever done is just ripped the head off of Brock Purdy. That is the most memorable thing I think he's done. I watched that. I was like, how the hell did he not get ejected? So that was on Thanksgiving against Oklahoma. I think it was on Thanksgiving, right? It was on Thanksgiving. No, no, no. no it was a few weeks prior because we had Thanksgiving at my, my dad's side of the family's house, but they were going to the lake on Thanksgiving, so we were sitting there a few weeks prior to Thanksgiving. Okay, so it wasn't there. When was that game, though? They played Iowa State on the 20th. So it was the Saturday before. I was going to say, it wasn't on Thanksgiving because we watched, watched the NFL on Thanksgiving. We watched, the, <laughs> we watched Big Sean do a halftime show for the Detroit Lions game. But yeah, he ripped the head off Brock Purdy there. But he dominated the Senior Bowl as the defensive MVP of the Senior Bowl. Six foot four, 292 pounds, five and a half sacks. Only had 11 solo tackles last year. But hey, he's still disruptive in the middle. He had two sacks, I believe, at the Senior Bowl. Good athlete from the inside for how big he is, 6'4", 292 pounds. Nice guy. Well, I don't know if he's a nice guy. I've never met him. But he'll fall in that second-round category. Then we talk about DeMarvin Leal. We have Fider- Fider- Fiderian Mathis from Alabama. We have I- – I can never pronounce his name. Ioma Uruzriki from Iowa State. Good athlete. Matthew Butler from Tennessee. And Neil Farrell from Tennessee. we got John Ridgway in there as well from Arkansas. And Thomas Booker from Stanford. And Haskell Garrett who was supposed to be one of the top interior defensive linemen in this draft, kind of has fallen a little bit. He had a very good first game of the year against Minnesota. Didn't really do a whole lot after that. Didn't really do a lot of testing at the Combine either well, so he's kind of fallen down a little bit. Edge rushers, everybody's favorite group in this draft class. Everybody's favorite group every year. It feels like edge rushers and wide receivers seem to be the favorites for everybody going for however many years it will go till the end of time, it just feels like. And there's really no secret who the top three are: it's Hudson, Walker, and Thibodeau. I know Thibodeau gets a lot of negative critiques for his "quote-unquote" character concerns and sometimes taking plays off, and he's more of a me versus we guy for a football team. A lot of teams and coaches don't like that, so he could slide a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised about that, and I would not be shocked either if Jermaine Johnson from Florida State went above him. Jermaine Johnson not a me versus we guy; he is—he's not a me guy; he's a we guy. He put up better numbers at Florida State. He was a last chance to you kid. He came to Georgia, couldn't get past any of the elite defensive ends and defensive linemen Georgia has, as we've mentioned three of them already. <laughs> so he had to go to Florida State and dominated there. Put up 11 or 12 sacks last year. More natural outside line bearer, Best run block, run stopper out of the DNs in this draft. So you could say he's the most two-way defensive end of this draft class. So I would not be surprised at all if he went above Thibodeau, given Thibodeau's concerns that have been very vocal this offseason. And Thibodeau's not as big. Thibodeau's only about 255, 258 pounds. I'm not saying Jermaine Johnson's a monster or anything, but people don't really necessarily know what it seems like where to play Thibodeau. If he's an outside linebacker, he's going to play DN. He's not as strong as Jermaine Johnson, so you can't really sit there and go, he's going to be a 4'3 DN. That's the thing with Jermaine Johnson where you can think you can play him at both because he's so good in the run game. By the I still I don't want to bash Thibodeau too hard, but Walker, <coughs> we kind of talked about him earlier. Jeez, <coughs> oh, Whereas production's not down to skill, it's down to what defense Georgia runs. He's not asked to do a lot in Georgia's defense. Different defenses will allow you to do certain things, and they'll ask you to do certain things. But the dude's pro- the best athlete in this draft class. Regardless of position, easily the best edge rusher in this draft class in regards to athleticism. So he's at number two, but Hutchinson, after what I watched last year at Michigan, I it'd be really hard for me to put Hutchinson anywhere but number one. And anywhere but the number one overall player in the draft. Just because what I saw last year is one of the most dominant performances I've seen from an edge rusher in a while. finished second in the Heisman race. Like, Chase Young got what did he finish he didn't finish did he finish second in the Heisman race? I think he did. He might have. Do I think he's the same athlete as Chase Young? I don't know. I saw someone say he's a better athlete than the Bosa brothers. I don't know if I'd go that far. I think Hutchinson's a good athlete. I don't think he's the same athlete as Walker, but he's still a good athlete nonetheless. But I don't know if I'd put him with the Bosa's. The Bosa's are insane. So I don't know if I'd put him up there, but it's Ohio State versus Michigan, so that conversation could go on forever. We'll never have a conclusion to that. But Hutchinson, power, insane. He's the best power rusher in this draft class. Man, well, uh, George Karlaftis has also got to say something about that as well. George Kalaftis does not have any... Not Okay, I almost worded that really badly. George Galactus is not as athletic as the top four guys, which could see him drop a little bit. His athletic ceiling is not as high as the other guys we mentioned. So maybe he drops a little bit. There's some conversation of him falling out of the first round entirely, which do I think that's fair? No, I think he's a very good edge rusher. Very powerful edge rusher as well. Got double teamed a hell of a lot at Purdue. Production dropped down a season prior, but he had a lot of injuries. Then he came back this year, played really well. Pass rush grades were very, very good. I like him a lot. I have him at number five. We have Ojabo at six coming off an Achilles injury. If he was not injured, I might have him at number three. If he wasn't hurt, like Ojabo is insane as well. Very insane outside linebacker. Boye Mafe from Minnesota is another one. Very very athletic. Dominated the senior bowl. And Arnold Ebiketti from Penn State. Just a Penn State edge rusher, extremely athletic. Nick Benino from Oklahoma, a little bit smaller. It was kind of funny seeing him test with the edge rushers. Because I got to see what the numbers were. So, NFL Combine results. His 40 time in his group was ridiculous. It wasn't even fair. (laughs) It's like, why are you letting him test with the DNs? Where did he go? Okay, his first group, so with the Bs. So, obviously, like, Amari Barno from Virginia Tech had the best time. Sam Williams was up there. Siobhan Walker, Boye Mafe. But you got the Bs. I don't remember what the whole group is for, but I think it cuts off at G. Like, (laughs) it was... 4-5-4 Four five four was Benito. The next closest one, if I'm remembering right, was four seven zero. Oh. A B C D E F G. I think it's G. I think it's G or H. Either way, <laughs> he was easily the top in his group. But then other players came into the fact, you know, the second group. Uh, uh, Amari Barno. What am I talking about? There was a <laughs> there was a time where it looked like he was okay. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Barno is on this list as well. Barno is a very athletic edge rusher, as we already saw. Uh, Sam Williams, I have him up there. Josh Pascal from Kentucky is up there. I have Josh Pascal at number 10. Kingsley and Enigbare is at number 12. Cameron Thomas, uh, D'Angelo Malone from Western Kentucky had a very good senior bowl. Yeah, there's some good – this is a very good edge rushing class. Hopefully, Maje Sanders plays better than what his test numbers show. I think he was sick and cut like 20 pounds or something. So he was in a very weird state when he came to the combine in his pro day. So we'll see how his numbers look or how he plays – while he gets going again, because you know being sick and testing is not really, you know, the best in the world. Linebackers, uh, Devin Lloyd, most complete linebacker in this draft. It's pretty unanimous, I think. Like six foot three, two hundred thirty pounds, can play outside linebacker, can play inside linebacker. I'm not saying he is this, but he comes in that similar mold of that of Micah Parsons, which is very fun to see, especially for teams that need linebackers like the Eagles, who play Micah Parsons twice a year. So maybe that could be interesting. I don't want him to go to the Patriots, but he feels like a patriot style player. Uh, he'll probably be the only linebacker in the first round, which, again, sad, because N'Kobe Dean, Quay Walker, Christian Harris, Leo Chanel, all have conversations in the first round, but it'll probably just be Devin Lloyd. Quay, uh, N'Kobe Dean, smaller, very good in the pass game. That was one of his best traits, also just a very good leader. That was his main trait, his leadership. It was awesome for him. They had the best linebacker. They had the best D-line, the best linebacker in Cornell of college football. They had N'Kobe Dean, Quay Walker, and Channing Tindall, who we have on this list as well. And Quay Walker, yeah, bigger guy, six foot four, two 240 pounds, a lot bigger than Dean, who's about 6 foot tall. So he's 4 inches taller. He's got about 10, 15 pounds on Dean as well. So there's a little bit of discrepancy there with people. Some ranking Quay Walker higher than N'Kobe Dean. Quay Walker's a little bit better in the run game than Dean is. It's not really... It's not saying Dean's bad. Dean's elite in that as well. But the size is going to be a thing that's a little bit concerning. The leadership, though, second to none with the Kobe Dean. Christian Harris makes plays everywhere. You saw that against Georgia. You saw that in the just the college football playoff for Alabama in general. Christian Harris was all over the field. Very athletic. You can't really go wrong with Alabama wide res- or wide receivers. You can't do that either. But li- Alabama linebackers. Uh, Leo Chenal from Wisconsin. Um Hold on, sorry. I've got to get everything set up here. <laughs> he had the most sacks. Next, well, I guess second most, tied most with Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd, eight or eight and a half sacks. I can't remember, Leo Chenal, six foot two, 261 pounds, and 55 tackles and eight sacks last year. Doubled his career high, which was three, more than double his career high. He had more than sa- more forced fumbles, more total tackles by freaking 56 tackles. Like he just shot up like a freaking cannon last year. But, yeah, he's a very fun linebacker to watch. Probably play at a 3-4 outside linebacker. Could also play as a 4-3 outside linebacker, but he'll just play as an outside linebacker. Uh, Chad Muma from Wyoming, very athletic linebacker. Troy Anderson from Montana State's moving up. Channing Tindall can do all the dirty work on Georgia's defense. Do all the dirty work on Georgia's defense. Makes plays in special teams as well. Brandon Smith, coming from linebacker U. Got to be a good linebacker. And Damone Clark from Penn, from Wisconsin. I'm Wisconsin. Sorry, I'm trying to end a call here. Someone's calling me. So I'm halfway paying attention. Uh, Damone Clark from LSU. Brian Esamoa from Ohio. Chiefs. Oh, Again, from Oklahoma, we got Mike Rose on this list as well. Uh, moving on to corners, we got Ahmad Sauce Gardner, number one. Six foot three, 200 pounds. Never gets beat deep. Never gets beat over top. Has a lot of, what, 0.1 yards per reception or something like that? Like, dude's elite. Dude's absolute. His mentality's elite. Like, dude goes by Sauce. He hasn't allowed a single touchdown in his college career. I know he played in the AAC – But that dude's an absolute baller. Derek Stingley's number two. If Derek Stingley, and we forgot the past two years, and just looked solely at 2019, Derek Stingley would be a clear number one corner in this draft. And he's getting talked about right now as being a top three pick in the draft. So that's very intriguing to see if he'll actually get drafted in the top three. So I don't know if he will or not. I don't know if it's a smoke screen. If they like, I don't know. There's a lot of things going on right now that I don't like. And the Jets, they came out and said they're just going to tell everybody they're drafting everybody. So I don't know what the Jets are going to do. I don't know where Stingley's going. But if Stingley can stay healthy and apply himself, that dude very well may be the best corner of the draft. He just hasn't played well the past two years. He's been either hurt or hasn't put up the same numbers or same style of play in his first year at LSU when they won the Natty. He was clearly the best corner in college football. That's not the same Stingley we saw the past two years. So that's why he's dropped down to two. McDuffie's three. One of the best tacklers for how big he is. He's only 5'11", about 190. Very athletic. Great tackler. Very rarely gets beat. For how big he is, very rarely gets beat. Next one, Andrew Booth. One of the best lockdown corners in the draft. You saw his lockdown ability the past two games, the regular season last year. Very athletic. Came the same recruiting class as Derek Stingley. Yeah. I don't know if he'll go first round, though. I don't know. I'm kind of stuck on the corners. I think one of the top... So the three are guaranteed. Three are guaranteed. That's... Gardner, Stingley, McDuffie. And then after that, it's between Booth, Kyler and Kyler Gordon, and I think K.R. Elam from Florida. Kyrie Elam is six foot two, about 190 pounds, maybe a little bit meh, I don't know how much he weighs exactly, but he's about two six foot two. And great athlete. Track speed is what Kyrie Elam has. Didn't put up insane numbers last year, his last season at Florida, but he's starting to creep back into that first round conversation. I think people are still trying to figure out who they want to put in that first round between the three I just mentioned. I think it'll be probably Kyler Gordon. I think his athletic ceiling is higher than those guys off the field. Like, the dude does Taekwondo. Uh, what was it? Kung Fu, dance, and ballet. So, I could definitely see a team like the Buffalo Bills looking at someone like that with Brandon Bean loving some freak athletes from <laughs> when you draft first round. Josh Allen, Jermaine Edmonds, Ed Oliver, Greg Rousseau. Like, those guys are all very, very good athletes. So, I could definitely see someone like Kyler Gordon going into that category. He's a bigger guy. Didn't test... Like, at the Combine, didn't test as well what people were expecting, but as pro day, put up some elite numbers in the 10-yard, in the 10-con, or cheese, three-cone drill and stuff like that. Uh, absolute athlete. Roger McCreary is in there as well. Most complete tackler out of the top guys. Most ta- more tackles than anybody in the top seven, bar none. He put up, like, 50-some of the tackles last year. Is consistently put up numbers like that. But teams are concerned of his, quote-unquote, alligator arms, got short little arms, not a short little, he's got short arms, not anything spectacular in regards to length, he's not like Kyrie Elam or or uh, Ahmad Gardner in regards to length, or even Tariq Woolen from UTSA, who's extremely lengthy as well and ran an extremely fast 40, great athlete for how big he is, much like Gardner, doesn't get beat deep, doesn't get beat over top, I mean, for a guy that big and run that fast, pretty damn impressive. Uh, And then the final two in the top ten, we got Cam Taylor, Britt from Nebraska, and Martin Emerson. Martin Emerson's another very lengthy corner. Then we got Marcus Jones from Houston. Not very big guy, but very feisty corner. Darion Kendrick, former wide receiver, but he's made a lot of good strikes. But you see a lot of wide receivers transition to corner, and I don't want to do the the little joke of uh, you can't catch, you go play corner. All corners are wide receivers that can't catch, which I guess – has some truth to it but i'm not gonna sit there and say it's only because they can't catch but he has very good reading of the play he knows exactly what's going on uh mario goodrich and kobe bryant not that kobe bryant cincinnati's kobe bryant i think he won the jim thorpe award last year like that dude's good and then we got zion mccollum who's about six foot four from sam houston state elite size for the position but yeah this is a good cornerback group and then safeties we got Kyle Hamilton, bar none, best safety in the draft. I mean, 6'4", 220 pounds, can play linebacker, safety. Like, we've talked about Kyle Hamilton enough. I'm not going to do any of that anymore. Numbers aren't fair to us. His, his combine numbers are not fair to how good of an athlete he is. He's way faster than what he showed at the combine, but he'll fall. And I hate that, but he'll fall. Uh, Daxon Hill from Michigan. I love Daxon Hill. You've heard me talk about Daxon Hill a ton on this show. In regards to being the best natural center fielder in this draft class. Can play as a nickel corner, can play as an outside corner, can play as a safety. Dude can do everything. He'll make plays wherever you want him in the secondary. He's just not as big as Kyle Hamilton. He's about four inches shorter and about 20 pounds lighter. So he's, he's not as big, but he's a really good athlete from the position. He could probably, I could definitely see him going somewhere like Philly or New England. I think he'd be perfect for something Bill Belichick's going to do. But I think people might be concerned, and they don't know what position he is. They don't know if he's a line, uh, safety or a corner. So that could be something that gets brought up. Uh, Louis Sean from Georgia is someone getting talked about first round talent. Lewis Seen dominated the national championship game. I think he was the defensive MVP. I think he was. Could be wrong about that. Hard hitter. Heat-seeking missile. Can play free safety or strong safety, whichever one. Very equally adept at both. Lewis Seen, very, 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 very hard-hitting safety. Same with Jaquan Brisker from Penn State. We have him at number five. I skipped Jalen Petrie. Jalen Petrie is a really good free safety. Him and J.T. Woods made one of the best safety tandems in all of college football last year at Baylor. Didn't really get talked about a ton. Do I, was Baylor? What am I talking about? Of course Baylor was good. They, they, they played Oklahoma State in the Big 12 Championship game. I was sitting there like, wait a minute. Was Baylor good last year? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, they went to the Big 12 Championship game and had a conversation of going to the College Football Playoff and beat Ole Miss in the bowl game after Matt Corral got hurt. Yeah, they were pretty good. So, yeah, I should probably stop talking about if Hey, Baylor good? Is Baylor good? But uh, yeah, that's what we've got for you for the prospect rankings. I'm not gonna go through a whole top 100 rankings list. Like, here's a a ranking of every single prospect we listed on here. I just made a cohesive list of 60 players that I think are the top 60 players. I didn't put them in order. It's position, or I guess it is technically in some order. But I'll put a I'll put numbers next to the top 10. So like, Hutchinson's number one. I would put, huh, who do I want at number two? We'll put Gardner at two. We'll put Hamilton somewhere around there. We'll put him at three. We'll put, this is a speed run, so I'm sorry. This isn't going to be like, this might change by the time this list comes out. So I apologize if this is not anything that you were hoping for. Aquanu, we'll put him at four. We'll put Neil at five. We'll put Walker at 6. We'll put Thibodeau at 7. Who would be 8? Who would I want to be at number 8? We'll put one of the wide receivers. We'll put uh, Jamison Williams at 8. I don't care if he's injured. He's at number 8. Number 9. Huh. Who do I want at number 9? Is there any player? I could put Jermaine Johnson at 9. I think Jermaine Johnson could be a top 10 player. And then number 10, again, this is could totally, 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 totally change by the time this list comes out. Number 10. I think I'm going to put Garrett Wilson at number 10. Yeah, I think that's fine. Maybe I'm missing someone that I probably should have up there, players I'm considering top 10. Stingley is definitely getting consideration. Jordan Davis He's getting consideration for that. Devin Lloyd is getting consideration. Charles Cross, kind of getting consideration. I just think he's too one dimensional. I don't want to call him one dimensional, but he's a we don't really know what he is run blocking, so I'm gonna keep him out from right now. Drake London's definitely up there. Quarterbacks, no, I'm not putting that up there. See, I think I think that's a very fair list. So the top ten players in the draft, according to me, this rough speed run: Hudson, Gardner, Hamilton. Then we've got Aquanu, Neal, Walker, Thibodeau, Williams, Johnson, and Wilson. And that's a very quick, <laughs> quick notes version of my top ten players in the draft. But before we end the show, and this show's long in the tooth as it is, we're almost at two hours now, and this show's going to be way past two hours. This was not the plan. I want to do this quickly. Hold on. Let me take a drink of water. Ugh. Hit my tooth. Not ideal. I have a fake tooth and one of it's chipped, so I need to be careful about hitting that. But I want to go through each team in the draft and say which two, what players they could draft because we're not going to do the mock draft today. This is going to come out before the draft. So get ready for that. I don't have the reasoning done. It'll come out the day of the draft. It'll come out more Thursday morning, so get ready for that. Player ranks will be out by the time you hear the show. But each player, each team in the draft, so we got number one Jaguars. From what it sounds like, weirdly, it's between Walker and Aquanu. It sounds like Balky wants Walker and Peterson wants Aquanu. And Shad Khan, the owner, wants Hutchinson. So those are the three players in contention there. And Evan Neal's going to be mentioned up there because Balky said they had four players consideration. I, I believe Neal's the fourth one. Balky, traits guy, big traits guy. So they drafted Alden Smith over J.J. Watt, traits guy. Rightly or wrongly, Alden Smith balled out his early stages of an NFL career. Long-term, didn't work out. as great, but short-term, Alden Smith was a baller. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl with a really good off line They drafted Lane Johnson, fourth overall, not when he was there, but they always built the off line So he's going to win an alignment. Shad Khan just looked at draft boards and said, hey, he's the number one player, so we should draft him. Fair enough. And then Evan Neal, just because, again... You've got the tackle situation. You're going to – Doug Peterson's going to want a lineman. But the thing is, the thing that's keeping me away from the linemen, the offensive linemen, is they signed Cam Robinson to a franchise tag, and they're talking about a long-term extension with Cam Robinson. So I'm concerned – or confused, not concerned, confused with Cam Rob, with the whole Cam Robinson situation and the tackle situation. Unless you're drafting Aquanu to play guard, and you're drafting him first overall – like, you drafted Walker Little, who played well in the latter stage of last year. Dewan Taylor's still there, former second-round pick. So it's not like Tackle's this over-glaring need for the Jaguars. It's not anything that's shirt up forever. Like, Cam is not a long-term option at left tackle. So I can see the logic, I guess. But if I had to bet money, I would bet on Walker. Traits guy, very good athlete, best athlete in the draft, regardless of position. Balky's a big traits guy. Hutchinson, I like Hutchinson a lot. Dominant player, dominant, dominant, dominant player. But I just feel like Walker will be that guy, because it's not about what I want. And I think a lot of these mock drafts that are coming out, a lot of the people, every like whether it's Chris Sims, whether it's Dale Jeremiah, whether it's Bucky Brooks, whether it's whatever. I guess not Bucky Brooks. He had a mock draft to say he had a quality going number one. But Jeremiah and Sims, they picked Hutchinson because they believe he's the number one player in the draft. The thing with mock drafts is, it's not about what you think the number one player in the draft is. It's what you think the Jaguars think the number one player in the draft is. And to me, I think Trent Balkey thinks it's Tr- Trayvon Walker. So that's why I'm sticking with Trayvon Walker. So there's a spoiler there for the draft. And the Lions, I mean, they're going to take... It sounds like Hutchinson's going to fall right into the lap. D- Plymouth, Michigan guy, 30 minutes out of Detroit, played at Michigan... Even Jim Harbaugh was like, I want him to play at Detroit. Because there's also some beef between Trent Balky and Jim Harbaugh. So maybe that's another reason that you see someone like Walker or Quanu go first overall before Aiden Hutchinson. But Hutchinson's going to go too. That's what it seems like at this point. He threw out the thir- first pitch of the Tigers game the other day. I, I think he's going to stick in Michigan. Uh, Texans, I don't know what they're going to do. Texans and Jets, no idea. No idea what they're going to do. We have a general idea because they don't have, like, they have needs. But I don't think either one are going to draft a wide receiver at three or four. If they do, they both have two first round picks. They're going to draft one later if they do draft one. Both of them like Garrett Wilson. That's what it sounds like, anyways. They can both use edge rushers. Jermaine Johnson, someone that's been linked to the Jets and Texans at these top two picks, not their later picks. Gardner is someone that's been linked to both of them. I don't think the Jets would take Stingley at four. So I don't know if that's, I don't know what the play is there with Stingley. If they're trying to scare the Jets with that. I don't think the Jets will take him. But let's say, hypothetically, the Texans do take Derek Stingley at number three. That thing, I think the Jets would take Aquanu if he's available, if the Jaguars didn't take him at four at number one already. Because Joe Douglas, former offensive lineman, has never drafted a defensive player in the first round. It does not matter what Robert Sala wants. And I put this in my mock draft because I have the Jaguars reasoning done. It doesn't matter if your coach wants Jamal Adams or Mac Jones. If your GM wants Mitch Trubisky or Trey Lance, guess who you're drafting? Mitch Trubisky or Trey Lance? John Dorsey wanted Baker Mayfield. So they drafted Baker Mayfield. The GM with the draft, the GM is responsible for building the team. The coach is responsible for coaching the team. They're going to have disagreements. You want to work work well together. But 90% of the time, the GM is going to draft who he wants. You're going to have to get the owner on your side, and you're going to have to get the coach on your side. And the Jets, though they don't necessarily have a massive need at O-line, their are reports from months ago that they don't like Mekhi Beckton anymore. So Beckton or uh, Aquanu, is definitely on the board for the New York Jets. Even though a couple weeks ago we were like, they don't really have a huge, massive hole in their offensive line. They don't. But if they draft Aquanu, which is definitely on the cards because Joe Douglas' history with offensive linemen, never can have too many offensive linemen, they might do that and trade Beckton somewhere else that's an option the favorite option it seems right now is that Ahmad Gardner goes to the Jets and Aquanu goes to the Texans that's what it seems like because Lovey Smith's talked about wanting to revamp the offensive line Titus Howard's there they drafted him a few years ago at 22 or 23 he can play both guard and tackle but no one really knows what he's playing and whether it's guard or tackle Texans fans on social media are like oh we have Titus Howard already we have Laramie Tunsell okay Titus Howard is not showing anything at tackle to make sure you go, oh, yeah, that's a nailed-on starting tackle in the NFL. He's played more guard this past few seasons than tackle. Quanu can play tackle. Neal, Alabama guy. Nick Casario, former Patriots guy. A lot of links to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Head coach Nick Saban. Maybe that's an option for them. So there's just a lot of options here that we don't really know, but if I had to nail it down, like if I had to pinpoint, like, two or three people for the Texans, and this could be completely wrong. But this is supposed to be, again, the most unpredictable draft of all time. It's going to be completely wrong. but we're going to go with Aquanu, Gardner, and um, do I want to go Johnson? Johnson or Neil. We're going to put a slash there. So we're going to do five. Okay. Aquanu Gardner, Johnson, Neil. And there's a lot of, they're saying there's a lot of smoke about Stingley, so I guess Stingley. So there's five players to look at for the Texans. For the Jets, Gardner, Aquanu johnson i think those are their three because reports are that they like johnson more than thibodeau coaching staff loves thibodeau most coaches will gm's got to look at the other side of things they got to focus more on the off the field things than the coaches do coaches love thibodeau gm they love i mean they love jermaine johnson too from reports but again like we said earlier they're trying to convince teams they're going to draft everybody they might think we're going to draft a kicker by the time it's all said and done so who the hell knows with the jets either but those are players I think you could look at for those two. The Giants tackle. I mean, the first pick, is gonna be either Aquanu, Cross, or Neal. Their ports say they really like Cross, so maybe that's an option for them. But I don't know if that's smoke screen or not, or if they're just doing that say, like, Neal goes three, Aquanu four, cross five. That could be a realistic opportunity. That could be a real thing. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I that is a situation that could happen, though. I'm not saying it will, but it definitely could. You got the Texans linked with the the Patriots in Alabama. You got the Jets and Joe Douglas running offensive linemen. And then the Giants needing desperately offensive linemen. So there's three positions right there that could take three straight tackles. And then you got the Panthers sitting at six. If the top three tackles are gone, then that opens the door back up for Kenny Pickett. But right now, I think it's closed. I think they're going to take a tackle, whether that's Cross or Neal. I don't know if Aquano will fall there, but Cross or Neal seem like the guys that will go go to the Carolina Panthers. Need help there desperately. Need a lot of help there desperately. And I, I've seen this on Twitter. This was something I've seen a little bit recently. Of franchise quarterback over franchise tackle. That's fair. I understand where I understand where the logic is. Like the logic, it's there. Okay. Quarterback's the most important position on the football field. I understand that. But if you go back a few years, because I, I the only reason I thought about this is because I watched the draft the other day. On YouTube, you can go up NFL throwback will post all the drafts. Not all the drafts, but they have a few drafts on YouTube. And this is a 2007 draft. This is Demarcus Russell draft. Not a great, not an insane draft. But the Browns at third overall, instead of taking Brady Quinn, they take Joe Thomas. They took Brady Quinn later in the draft. So for the people that are saying we want a, if you're going to draft a quarterback, draft him at six. I understand that because there's a logic of going in of you see your guy, get your guy, so no one else could take him. I understand that completely. But do you think the Browns if they could go back? would take Brady Quinn and not take Joe Thomas? Because he wasn't last until the 20s. Brady Quinn got all the way to the 20s. Joe Thomas was not falling that far. Joe Thomas would have probably gone to pick later. So you think the Browns would rather have Brady Quinn or the greatest, tackle, the greatest player of the 21st century for the Browns? Which one would they rather have? I think they'd take Joe Thomas. You figure out the quarterback situation later. That could take a long time, but if they're really linked with these trades with Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield, things like that, that's fine. But if the top three tackles are gone, quarterback. That's it. The top two positions they are taking a quarterback and a tackle. If the tackles are there, they'll take a tackle. If the tackles are gone, they'll take a quarterback. That's just what it seems like. Seven, the Giants, I think it's either an edge rusher or a corner. I think it's either Jermaine Johnson or Stingley or Gardner. Because it depends on if Gardner goes early. If Gardner goes to the Texans or Jets, then it's going to be either Stingley or Johnson. I don't know if they'll take uh, Thibodeau. It sounds like he's in the conversation for them, but he doesn't. It seems like there was a report that said he rubbed them the wrong way. So I don't know if that. I guess he's still in the cards, but they just don't. I don't know what they feel about him. I don't know. But I think that's where they're going either set corner or, t- or edge rusher. Wide receiver, I guess, is an option because of Kadarius Toney's situation. So maybe that's an option. Maybe Garrett Wilson's an option there. But. Yeah, they need edge rushers. The top two positions in their draft going into this were edge rusher and line. They're going to get an out-lineman first. They're got to get a lineman first. And then get your edge rusher or corner sorted out. Because that, the, the corner thing's all situated on what happens with James Bradbury. So that's the situation that involves that. So we'll see how that one goes. But edge rusher and corner seem like the top two things. Falcons, everything. But the top two things, wide receiver and edge rusher. Uh, it's either going to be... So apparently they love Drake London. I don't know if that's a smoke stream because the Jets reported they like Drake London a lot too. And I think Garrett Wilson's better than Drake London. I think he could do more. He's not as big, but I think he can do more. He's faster, more athletic. But um, Arthur Smith loves himself some big wide receivers. Had Arthur uh, A.J. Brown over there in Tennessee. Maybe he wants a bigger wide receiver. Now, it, it, Drake London's nowhere near the athlete of A.J. Brown. So let's not put that in the air. But, I mean, in regards to... Speed. I, I had to figure. out what I want to say because Drake London's a great athlete. I didn't want to take away that. Once I said that, I was like, uh, let's not put it like that. He's just not as fast as AJ Brown. But I can see that being an option. But I think Garrett Wilson's better. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't bat an eye if they did draft Drake London. But if Thibodeau's there, which is reported, they would take Thibodeau. If Thibodeau ends up falling, I think the last place he falls. I mean, if he falls past the t- the Falcons, he won't fall past the Seahawks. He ain't falling out of the top ten. So. People can stop worrying about that. If it happens, that'd be absolutely insane. But my guts tell me he either's if he does fall, eight or nine's the place he falls. The light, the latest. That's literally it. I think that's it. And then the Seahawks at nine, corner, edge rusher, tackle is what it seems like. But with all the tackles gone, there's a report they're going to take Penning at nine. Which, if you listen to John uh, John Snyder the other day. Uh, he talked about when they started the rebuild, they overdrafted a player in Bruce Irvin. They would overdraft Trevor Penning. I love Trevor Penning. I like him a lot. That dude ain't the number nine pick in the draft. He ain't the ninth best player in the draft. I'm sorry. I like him. He, ain't, he shouldn't go number nine. <laughs> I think the top two spots for him, top three, are the Ravens, Saints, and Chargers. I and mean, Those are the top three spots for Trevor Penning. I don't think he falls past those guys. Saints got two picks. He could fall to 19. He ain't falling past 19. But the Seahawks, Thibodeau, Jermaine Johnson, they reportedly love Derek Stingley. Uh, Pete Carroll's got a relationship with Ed Osron who coached, of course, coached Derek Stingley at LSU. So there's that. You got the relationship with Oregon and the Seattle Seahawks. Remember when Nike came out with their new uniforms? When they bought the uniform rights to the NFL, Seahawks got the crazy ones because that's what Nike was doing at the time, and they still have them for some reason. But they got their relationship with Nike because they're both from the Pacific, Pacific Northwest. So Thibodeau's an option I think they'd like one of the tackles, but the top three guys are going to be gone before six. So I doubt they'll get those guys. Unless, unless we see, like, Walker, Hutchinson, and then Gardner, and then Johnson going four to the Jets, then that opens up the opportunity for the tackles to start falling. Because then the Panthers and Giants will take one, and then you've got the Falcons and Seahawks that could look at tackles. So there we go that. Uh, Jets, 10. This is going to be a wide receiver regardless of Debo or one of the other wide receivers. And it looks like it's going to be a wideout. Debo, with a trade. Garrett Wilson, Drake London, or Jameson Williams. Those are the guys. So there's not really a lot to talk about there. <laughs> tackle corner, edge rusher, 4. Receiver, 10. That's what it looks like anyways. Commanders, uh, wide receiver, Kyle Hamilton. They're, they gave up a crap ton of touchdowns last year. They led the league in touchdowns allowed, passing touchdowns allowed. So that's obviously an option, a big need there. But they need wide receivers as well, especially with Terry Terry McLaurin's uncertainty. They like Drake London and Chris Olave; Those are the top two guys, according to a recent report. Not even recent. Those have been around for a while. That they like those two guys. So those are options there. I would draft Hamilton. But if they like the receivers, you got a new quarterback. Carson Wentz has worked really well with big receivers in the past. You want to draft someone like Drake London, that'd be an option. Uh, the Vikings at 12, I think it's either trade back or corner. Whether it's Stingley, if he falls there, they got their LSU's corners coach is now on the Vikings coaching staff. So I think that's the ideal circumstance. But I don't think Stingley's falling past Seattle, if I'm being honest. And then the Vikings, they love a trade back. I know Rick Spielman's not the GM anymore. They got a new GM. They got a new coaching staff. Got everything new. But trade backs will be options for the Vikings, especially with a team like the Steelers, who I think would love a trade up. Because the Steelers, one thing they don't do. Is hide their emotions and hide the way they feel about people. So if they like a quarterback, which we think we do, they think they do. Trade it to the Vikings will make a lot of sense. But I think it's either McDuffie or Stingley. If Stingley's gone, then it'll be McDuffie. That's what my gut is telling me right now. I think they gotta draft a corner. Edge rusher is an option. If Jermaine Johnson's there, he's a Minnesota native, so maybe he's someone they look at. But I think it's corner. I think they gotta go corner. I saw a draft today that had him taking a wide receiver. They need help on defense. The reason they can't beat anybody is because they have no help on defense. That's why they can't win. That's why they're constantly in the state of mediocrity because their defense sucks. Regardless of their secondary D-line, whatever. They have a lot of good pieces on defense, sure, but they can't stay healthy or they're really consistent, but their secondary is ass. Apart from Harrison Smith, it's not very good. And P- Patrick Peterson, but he's old. So, yeah, it's not great. Texans, so we already talked about that they're doing everything at four. They're doing the same thing here. But it looks like either edge rusher or receiver is what it kind of seems like. Or D-lineman. So, like, Jordan Davis could fit in here. Because Nick Stereo, obviously coming from New England again. Vince Wilfork was there when he was there. Get Jordan Davis in there. I know they'd love an edge rusher to fit in Lovey Smith's system, but there's none really there that you can take here and feel justified in doing that. I don't think George Kalaftis would fit in this system. Maybe take Devin Lloyd, linebacker. That's success with linebackers in New England. They reportedly like Garrett Wilson. So we'll see what the Texans do. I think they could be prime for a trade down as well. I think they could be a prime trade down candidate. The Vikings and Texans seem like the top two teams to trade down, at least at this point in time, in the draft. I know the Panthers would probably love a trade down, but I don't know if there's any teams that would love to trade up to six. There's not really – this is a draft – we talked about this the other day. This is a draft where there's not really – like quarterback-wise, teams trade up a lot for quarterbacks. There's the odd case, like the Falcons trade up from 28-6 to six to draft Julio Jones. And maybe the Chiefs are that team this year. Trade up from 29 or 30 to draft a wide receiver here at 12 or 13. Depending on Jamison Williams, if he falls or not, I think that could be primo spot for him. But, uh, yeah. I don't know what the Texans are doing. The Texans are a very weird team at 13. Very weird team. I had J- Jermaine Johnson going here, but I don't know if he'll fall follow the top 10. So that kind of threw everything off. Uh, the Ravens at 14. I think it's either Penning, Jordan Davis, or McDuffie. I think Lloyd could be an option here. I think Devin Lloyd really could be an option here because when they were really good, they had some really good linebackers. They got Patrick Queen a few years ago in the first round from LSU. Devin Lloyd can do literally everything for this defense. But yeah, get some beef in the middle. They had the number one rush defense in the league last year. Get it better. Clayus Campbell's back, but he's getting older. I'm not saying Jordan Davis would be a direct replacement to him, but be someone good to have there. Trevor Penning would come in. He could play guard or tackle. Ronnie Stanley can't stay healthy. Morgan Moses didn't really start any games last year, if I remember. Uh, Hold on. Did he come from the Jets or did he come from Washington? He played at both, but I don't remember where he came from. He came from the Jets. How many games did he start for the Jets last year? signed a one-year deal last year. It doesn't see how many games did he play last year. Because Becton was hurt. That was the only reason he really played. Okay, he started every game apart from week one last year. So, but he's 31 years old, and he's only a stopgap. He's not something that you could have there forever. He's not going to be there forever. And Trevor Penning just feels like a uh, a Raven. He signed a three-year deal, I guess, but time will tell. I Trevor Penning feels like someone that could be a Baltimore Raven in the future. So, Ray, I think it'll be probably, if I had to guess, either Penning or Davis. I think those are the top two guys. They love big guys that can move. Jordan Davis feels that. Eagles, if he's there, it'll be Jamison Williams, if he's there. But again, Jets at 10, Chiefs straight up. Those are the top two teams that could threaten the Jets or the Eagles taking Jamison Williams. If not him, uh, Jordan Davis would be fun if he falls past Baltimore. You know, Howie Roseman loves himself some some building up on the D-line and O-line. He loves building those. So maybe Jordan Davis there. Maybe you're looking at Devin Lloyd. I know they don't draft linebackers. We can talk about 18 as well. It's kind of the same thing. They're going to look at wide receivers, corners, linebackers, or D- D-line. So you're looking at corner, it's McDuffie. Linebacker, it's Devin Lloyd. D-line, you're either taking Mc- um, Wyatt Davis at 18 or Davis at 15. And then dark horse, Daxton Hill, safety corner combo at 18. Need help at safety and corner. And if you want to move a Am- uh, Monte Maddox out to the outside... You cut Steve, or you let Steven Nelson go. Have Maddox on the outside. He's traditionally more of a slot guy. Move him outside. Have Dax Daxnell in the middle. That'd be pretty nice. Be pretty nice. That would be pretty. I would think that'd be fun. And sixteen and nineteen, the Saints tackle, wide receiver, quarterback. Like those are the top three things. Tackle. If Trevor Penning's there, they got to take him. If he's not there, then wide receiver. If Penning goes to Baltimore, then hypothetical situation: you take Alave at sixteen. Because the Chargers and the Eagles, depending on what the Eagles do at 15, could be looking at wide receivers. So let's say, hypothetically, we got Wilson, London, and Williams all off the board at uh, 10, 11, and 12. The Chiefs straighten up with the Vikings. And then Alave. Then we got um, you know, uh, Penning going 14. And then I'm assuming the, Chief, the Eagles, who have drafted wide receivers the past two years in the first round, Might move with Jordan Davis first, and then that would open the door for Olave at 16. Maybe that's an option. I'm not saying that will happen. I don't know if it necessarily will. But if Penning's gone, you got to take the wide receiver. If, or, or, you take Pickett. I think Pickett's the guy that they would like. I think Pickett would fit what they do down there in New Orleans. I think it'd be beneficial for him to play in the Dome. I'm not saying, like, he needs to play in a Dome like he played at Pittsburgh. I'm not worried about the hand size. The dude's played in cold weather. He's played in crappy weather. You watched the game against North Carolina last year. One of the worst weather games you'll see was a freaking monsoon down in Pittsburgh. I say down in Pittsburgh, over in Pittsburgh. So the dude can play in bad weather. I'm not really concerned about that. But I think the Saints will be really good for him. I think that'd be a good spot for him. So I'm going with Alave penning Pickett or dark horse Tyler Smith from Tulsa. Athletic lineman, they've taken athletes before. They trade up a lot for Marcus Davenport. It was seen as a kind of a reach at the time. Tyler Smith would be seen in a reach at nineteen, depending on whether Penning's there or not. Like if, if Penning's gone at 14, you take Tyler Smith at nineteen. Be seen as a reach, but hey, athlete from the O line position could be big there. Steelers, it's Pickett or Willis. I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those two. They're taking a quarterback. Mike Tomlin has made it very clear from the combine that he loves Malik Willis. So I don't know if I necessarily buy all the rumors that oh they're drafting a quarterback it's going to be Pickett. I mean it makes sense because yeah sure they're not as open about their love for Pickett, but he's from Pittsburgh. They've talked a lot with the organization. They talked a lot about the college Pittsburgh. Talked a lot with the organization. Pickett's been around it. They drafted James Conner, worked out pretty well from last time. They passed on Dan Marino back in '83, another Pittsburgh quarterback. So maybe. This is a situation where we don't pass on another Pittsburgh quarterback just in case he doesn't screw us. So maybe Pickett's the option there. But upside, it'd be Willis. In a way, Mike Tomlin was looking at it, it looks like it has to be Willis. I would be pretty surprised if it wasn't. Willis seems like Tomlin's guy. But again, if Kevin Colbert wants Pickett, that's probably the direction they're going to go. Time will tell, though. The Patriots, I mean, prime for a trade back because it's the Patriots. But Devin Lloyd and Daxton Hill are my two favorites here. Like, Daxton Hill, we already talked about the versatility in the secondary. Devin Lloyd can play everywhere in the linebacker spot. we we'll fill the hole left by Dante Hightower. They could use some off the line. They trade Shaq Mason to the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So maybe someone like Zion Johnson. you uh, could get a tackle. Maybe someone with some versatility, like Tyler Smith, could go here, too. They kind of overdrafted Isaiah Wynn, if I remember correctly. So maybe that's an option for them. But, yeah, I think the top two for me are Devin Lloyd and Daxton Hill. I think those are the top two guys. Packers, it has to be a wideout, right? If anything else, it has to be an off-the-lineman for this pick. any Both of them. I guess we could talk about 28 and 22. They need help desperately in the wideout. I know they signed Sammy Watkins. I don't care. Sammy Watkins ain't going to make it through the entire season. If he does, congratulations to him. Right now, their number one receiver, according to their depth chart on ESPN, is Alan Lazard. I like Alan Lazard. Urbandale kid. I'm from Urbandale, so I'll be rooting for him. But he ain't a number one guy. He's not. I know Aaron Rodgers trusts him. But hey, that is, trust can only get you so far. He's got. If you can get a top wide receiver here, if you can get a Drake uh, T- Traylon Burks or Jahan Dotson here, or if not, take a lineman here. If you don't think you can get one at twenty eight, if you can't get a Tyler Smith, Bernard Raymond, uh, Kenyon Green, Zion Johnson, one of those guys, if you can't get them at 20, 28, get them at twenty two, and then take the wide receiver later, because after that, the Cardinals will look at a wideout in the Titans, and there's going to be some good wide receivers you can get past those two teams so let's say hypothetically i think the cardinals really like Jahan Dotson. i think the titans would use someone like sky Moore. you get trailing burks at 28 you get the guy that you're probably going to take at 22 and 28 while also getting alignment so whatever works those are the top two spots but i think also again we talked about this earlier logan hall from houston you lost tyler lancaster their four three d or three four d end have a hole there maybe he can come in and fill that athletic can work in the run game perfect for the three four defense I could definitely, if they can't get one of the tackles or guards or whatever, he'd slot in at 28. That'd be perfect there. That or Tampa at 27. We'll get to Tampa in a little bit. Cardinals, I think it's going to be a guard or receiver. I don't think they'll go defense early. I know they have a need at corner. I know they have a need at edge rusher because Chandler Jones went to LA, uh, went to Vegas. But they lost Chandler Christian Kirk to a monster contract to Jacksonville. They lost A.J. Green, still in free agency. DeAndre Hopkins wasn't healthy all year last year. So they're gonna need some depth at wide receiver. Their O line got beat up or got beat up. I say that it sounds like it's injuries. No, they just got killed last year. That game against the Rams was brutal for Kyler Murray. So maybe Zion Johnson here. I think that makes a ton of sense, shoring up the offensive line, which is something they haven't done since they've been in since he's been in the league. Let alone when Josh Rosen was in the league, who's a lot less athletic than Murray. So I think it's wide receiver. I think it's Jahan Dotson or Zion Johnson here. I, that's what my guts tell me. And then the Cowboys, I think it's gonna be a lineman. They lost Connor um, Connor Williams and lost – oh, what was what's the other guy's name? Lyle Collins. Lost them both in free agency. Connor Williams, I think, went to Miami, and Collins went up to Cincinnati. So they have a hole at tackle and guard. I think Tyler Smith would be nice here. Athletic offensive lineman. And then Zion Johnson would be fit here really nicely. He could play both guard and tackles. Uh, tra- uh, Kenny Green – geez, I almost forgot his name – can play both guard and tackle. He's working out center, so maybe you want to replace Tyler Biotish. You can go with Tyler Linderbaum here. Maybe that's an option. But again, I, they could also be prone to a surprise. They drafted Taco Charlton a few years ago. That surprised a lot of people. So maybe they draft Logan Hall. I think Logan Hall will probably go in the first round. I don't know where, but that could be somewhere we look at there because they lost Randy Gregory in free agency, so maybe they move after uh, D-End, who can play D-End and outside, in, inside. So versatility there. The Bills, I've already told you, everything is between three people. I think it's between Brees Hall, Kyler Gordon, and Sky Moore from Western Michigan. I could be completely wrong in that, and I, I don't hope I am, because I like all three of those players, so I hope I'm I hope I'm hope right in saying that, but those three players are, are very, very good. They're very, very good players. So, Brees Hall, I've made my case about Brees Hall. The Bills are extremely one-dimensional. They have one of the worst running games in the NFL. Apart from, if you take out Josh Allen, you have probably the worst running game in the NFL. A lot of that has to go down the offensive line. I think adding Saffold is big in that, as he was a part of Tennessee's old line when they road graded for Derrick Henry. I know it's easier said than done. I mean, you got Derrick Henry back there. So he's going to – Devin Singletary is nowhere as big as – he's like a foot shorter than Devin, than Derrick Henry. So I don't think that's really fair for Singletary, and I like Singletary. But the Bills' run game was so bad, they went up from setting up the pass by running to setting up the run by passing. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. That never is a thing until the Bills started doing it. And then Kyler Gordon, they have a hole at corner. Lost Levi Wallace in free agency. I I like Dane Jackson. Maybe he could fill in that spot. Uh, Taron Johnson is a slot corner, so he ain't going to move outside. Trey White will be out at least... He might be able to make week one. Might. If not, he'll probably come back week three or something like that. And then Sky Moore, just add more depth to wide receiver. I know the Bills will learn to do that. I like Isaiah McKenzie, but maybe they want to add someone else there because they had... Four guys, five guys last year. You had Diggs, you had Gabe Davis, you had McKenzie, and then you lost Cole Beasley and you lost Emmanuel Sanders. Both the, well, You cut Cole Beasley and you lost Emmanuel Sanders. But I think E Man's retiring. So Sky Moore makes a ton of sense there. Smaller wide receiver, working those slots. You have him and Jamison Crowder in the slots, Diggs and Gabe Davis on the outsides. That'd be pretty fun. Totally revamp the receiving core. The Bills always seem to have one old guy in the receiving core. They wouldn't have that because Jamison Crowder's not even 30 yet. So it would be a really nice receiving core. But personally, I would like Brees Hall. But I understand the other two completely. And I'd be perfectly fine with whatever the Bills draft because I have learned that I am never going to doubt what Brandon Bean does. I'll never do that. So I'm cool with whatever he does. The Titans, uh, Dark Horse quarterback, Desmond Ritter or Kenny Pickett, but it's probably going to be a lineman because they lost both starting guards. We talked about that earlier. They lost Questenberry and Roger Saffold, both to Buffalo. So they're going to need help at guard. Kenyon Green seems like a perfect fit, but they also drafted, like we talked about, Isaiah Wilson a few years ago, overdrafting a tackle. I'm not saying Tyler Smith would be an overdraft, but I have more on athletic traits than what he's done up to this point. So maybe that's something they look at there. Maybe he can play both guard and tackle. Wide receiver, I think, is also an option. Again, I said Sky Moore would be here earlier. So Sky Moore could be an option. But again, Ritter or Pickett, maybe even Corral, I think it'd be options here for Tennessee at 26. I think Ritter fits, Ritter and Pickett. I think, well, I guess even Corral fit that mentality that um, Mike Vrabel will have. But I think Pickett and Ritter get that side even bigger just because they're bigger. They're bigger quarterbacks than Corral. Corral's as big as me. Pickett and Ritter are both 6'3, 6'4. So I think they'll go with that one. I think Ritter would fit his offense more. 27, the Bucks, a guard or D line. Corner and safety might be an option. They lost Jordan Whitehead to the Jets. So maybe Daxton Hill here or uh, Lewis Sean from Georgia. But again, I think Logan Hall would fit in right here, uh, eventually replace uh, Nadama and Sue at the three tech spot. So maybe that's an option for them. We talk about Kyler Gordon and Andrew Booth will be there. Lineman Kenyon Green. I mean, again, you lost Alex Kappa to Cincinnati, uh, to Cincinnati I think, and Ali Marpet to free agents or retirement. What am I talking about? And you brought in Shaq Mason. We still have a hole there. So maybe try to fill that with one of the guards, but he you can't get them, I would think something like Logan Hall would be an option here. Devontae Wyatt's the dream. If he can fall to 27, he's the dream. 100% the dream. (laughs) But that's neat. I don't know. Because testing-wise and numbers-wise, he should be a top-20 pick easy, but there's some reported character concerns and things from his past that are going to be brought up because, you know, that always happens in a draft. So maybe that's something that (laughs) affects I don't know why I laughed, but it affects him and falls him down to 27. Chiefs, 29-30, and 30. receiver, edge rushers, corner, or defensive back, pretty much. They shirt up their offensive the line. Their starting center, right guard, and right tackle. Played no games in the NFL prior to the first game of the season last year. Like, they completely revamped the offensive the line. They brought in Orlando Brown as well. Completely revamped it. So, it looks like it's going to be an edge rusher first. They need an edge rusher, whether it's Boye Mafi from Minnesota, Arnold Ebicchetti from Penn State, Maybe they go with David Ojabo and don't really worry about the Achilles thing. But anything to keep Christian Chris Jones inside. they got to keep him inside. They tried to put him in an edge rusher. It didn't work. He's a, one of the best, if not the best, interior edge, interior pass rusher in the NFL. So get a guy like Moffy. Get a guy like Ebiketti. Get a guy like Ojabo. Maybe, what other guys could you get? Karlaftis could be a guy you look at here as well. Maybe you, get, you can obviously look at one later. The Chiefs got a second-round pick as well. So maybe you look at that. But wide receiver is a big need. I like Mar- I mean, Marcus Valdez scantling and Juju Smith-Schuster are nice. They're not replacing Tyreek Hill. So that's why someone like... I think George Pickens would be someone there. He's not as fast as Christian Watson, but I think that potential there that he could really be something... It's kind of the similar situation to DK, where DK Metcalf really didn't have any numbers at Ole Miss because he got hurt. So he fell a little bit. But he's now becoming one of the best receivers in the NFL. I think George Pickens could become that. But if later... If they want to go after someone like Calvin Austin or John Mechie, that would fit in what they do as well. Sky Moore would be nice here as well. But I think edge rusher's the guarantee. I think they definitely take an edge rusher. And then the next pick is either wide receiver or secondary. I think Kyler Gordon or Lewis Seen or Daxon Hill are three guys to look at. Number 31, the Bengals, we're going to take either Tyler Lindebaum or Kyler Gordon. That's what it seems like. Maybe, maybe Tyler Smith falls here. I brought up Tyler Smith a whole hell of a lot more than I thought I would, but Tyler Smith could be an option here. Play him at guard. Because the only real hole right now in the Bengals O-line, because they completely revamped it, is at guard. That left guard spot. They brought in Lyle Collins, they brought in Alex Kappa, they brought in Ted Karras, and they have Jonah Williams. So they only got really one spot, and that's guard. So maybe Williams, maybe Smith, maybe uh, Kenyon Green, someone like that. Linda Baum could push Ted Karras over to guard. Ted Karras played guard over in New England. It all depends on who the Chiefs draft. Because according to reports, the Bengals want to invest in their secondary. They have their corners are a who's who of who former first round draft picks that didn't make it or got cut after their first contract. So they want to assure up their secondary. Kyler Gordon, Kyrie Elam feel like two guys they're looking at. Kyrie Elam's got the length and the speed they're definitely looking for. I think Gordon's a better athlete than or not better athlete, but he's a good athlete. We already talked about all the things he likes to do. So yeah. Those are two options there. But Linderbaum's the dream. Linderbaum's the dream. But they already said, I guess, that uh, Ted Karras is the center. So we'll see if that actually happened or not. And the final pick, 32, it looks like primo trade-out spot. Falcons, Seahawks trade back up for quarterbacks. I think the Falcons for Corral, Seahawks for – or no. Falcons for – well, yeah, either one for either one. (laughs) I think the Seahawks definitely like Matt Corral. I think that's an option for them, definitely. But if the Lions stay here, quarterback of their own, that fifth-year control year – Fifth control year is a pre, is a very important thing. So whoever the Lions like, I think they like Sam Howell. They worked out with him at the Senior Bowl. Kenny Pickett, they just interviewed him. I think he's one of their only quarterback interviews they did this offseason. Ritter, I think, would fit and All the quarterback. Whoever, if the Lions want a quarterback, take him at 32, not two. Do not take him at two. Willis will not go two. If he does, I'd be I'd be cool with it because I like Willis and I think his potential is great, but I don't want him to go two. I don't want him to go, him to, go to Detroit. I think he's perfect for what Pittsburgh wants. But the Falcons, the Seahawks are two teams that could trade up. So maybe the Chiefs at 30. So other teams that could trade down out of this range, uh, the Patriots, obviously because they trade down every year it feels like. Then you got the Packers could definitely trade up. They, They could trade down. They could also trade up. The Chiefs, either one of their picks. The Bucks, I feel like they could. The Bills love a trade down as well. So maybe those are all teams, the Lions, we already talked about them. Maybe those are all options. Trade down with quarterbacks. But who knows? And for teams who want to trade up in the first round, I think the Steelers are the number one team to get Willis. They're like, again, they're not afraid of trading up or giving up everything for who they want. They did that with Devin Bush a few years ago. Like, if they want a guy, they'll go get him. I'm not going to predict any trades because that kind of screws up the mock draft and everything because if they don't happen, it kind of goes, well, if I just kept it pat, I let it stand pat, would have been fine. So I kind of screwed myself with that. That was last year. We had almost every half the pit over half the picks right if I just let it be. But I made trades, so I forced things to where they probably shouldn't have been. But yeah. Other teams would trade up. The Jets, I think, could trade up. Panthers could trade down. Falcons could trade down. The Giants could trade down. I think the Vikings and Texans are two teams that could definitely trade down. The Saints could trade up. The Eagles could trade down. They've been trading everything this offseason. They trade picks galore. So maybe their team that could trade down as well. But they could they could just move wherever. Saints will be a team that moves wherever. But with that all being said, I think that's all I've got for you. This show went a whole hell of a lot longer than I thought. I did not think it'd be two and a half hours long, but that's the reality in which we sit here right now. I think it went well today. Hope you enjoyed the show. We will have Mock Draft 5.0 on Thursday. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Make sure you follow me on all forms of social media. Again, Twitter is Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is TheLoganBlackmanShow1. Facebook's the Logan Blackman Show. YouTube's the Logan YouTube's Show. And, of course, you're listening right now, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you leave a rating out of five stars. And, yeah, check out the prospect rankings on the theloganblattmanshow.com. You can also check out other blog posts on there as well. Click the links up top, and you can check out even videos. You can check out merch stuff, which we got some stuff coming soon, so hopefully that will get pictures of those and get those posted everywhere so you can see those. But, yeah, I'm really excited. This, I'm really excited for what we've got planned for the draft as well. I'll see if it actually can come to fruition or not, but – we have something I have something planned. It's not going to be the live stream again, but I've got something planned. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But with that being said, I will see you all later. Again, check out all the stuff on the com. Leave a rating on a five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and I will see you all later. Happy draft eve, ladies well, not draft eve. Yeah, dra- happy draft eve, ladies and gentlemen. Peace.